This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. It's Monday morning. The day you get to uh, start it all again, which is good. It's good. It's good. And I hope you're ready for a whole new day. Uh, we got a great show for you coming up. Interesting discussion about the Panama Papers, which are the papers about a great trip to Panama. Check out the Panama Canal. And uh, it's from a great travel agency there. No, the Panama Papers, remember? Have you heard about these papers? Papers that have now, uh, they've been leaked and uh, documenting basically 12 current or former heads of state have uh, some offshore shell accounts where they're stashing money away. And today we're going to be talking about shell accounts and uh, the dangers of them. What are they? What are the rules behind them? Who gets them? I mean, apparently you've got to have some money, which is why nobody here on the show has a shell account. Um, We're going to be talking with Dr. Daniel L. Nelson, who has done some extensive research about uh, these shell accounts and the potential uh, dangers of the shell account as a possible means for terrorists to you know, hide their money, but also to infiltrate and pass their money into the United States without people knowing about it. So we'll get to that pretty interesting topic. We'll also have to do a review of some of the headlines as well. Tomorrow, a bunch of primaries up in the Northeast. Uh, Also, we want to find out just about what's going on tornado time, too. We're going to – I'm just going to talk a little bit about the weather. The weather nationwide is going crazy. So we'll get to that as well. But first, let's get to the news headlines with Katie Jarvis. Katie, what's going on around the rest of the country? There's a new polls showing that Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton are ahead in Pennsylvania. Trump holds an 18-point lead over Ted Cruz among the potential Republican voters, and he has a 45% support rate due to, uh, compared to Cruz's 27% and John Kasich's 24%. On the Democratic side, Hillary Clinton leads Bernie Sanders 55% to 40%. Pennsylvania voters are headed to the polls tomorrow, along with those in Connecticut, Delaware, Maryland, and Rhode Island. Federal agents have been hurt in a Kansas shootout. Four members of the U.S. Marshal Service Task Force were injured Saturday Saturday night during a shootout at the country club motel in Topeka. They were looking for a suspect who exchanged fire with agents upon arrival. Local police did not confirm if the suspect has been captured, but they said the area was secure. And more troops have been approved to go to Syria. President Obama announced this morning that there will be up to 250 additional military personnel to support local forces inside war-ravaged Syria battling ISIS. The president made the announcement in Germany as part of his farewell tour of Europe. And Prince has been cremated and given a private send-off. Prince's body has uh, been cremated and his nearest and dearest were there at the ceremony. The location and final storage of his remains, they said, will be kept private. His publicist said a musical celebration will be held eventually. An autopsy was conducted Friday, but the results aren't in yet. And a new report shows that an estimate of 5.1 million children in the nation have a parent that's in prison. The percentage of children with incarcerated parents varies between states from a low of 3% in New Jersey to a high of 13%. In my own lovely state of Kentucky. Yeah! In Wisconsin. They're killing it in Kentucky. <laughs> yep. That's great. In Wisconsin, there's at least 88,000 children who have a parent behind oh, bars. Oh, wow. Those are high numbers. That's pretty sad. And the numbers of children with a father in jail rose 
500% between 1980 and 2000. Wow. But the number of children with mothers behind bars has more than doubled between 1991 and 2007. Parents, what are we doing? I don't Come know. Come on, in Kentucky? Who'd yeah. have thought? Who'd have thunk it? Hey, Katie, here's a question for you. Did you know today is DNA Day? No. It's DNA Day and Hug a Plumber Day. Oh. And I don't think they have anything in common. There's no connection <laughs> between the two. So I need you, you know, sometime between now and our next news break, I need you to either uh, go do a DNA test just for the people and or go hug a plumber. Do a cheek swab. Yeah, do a little <laughs> cheek swab. Pass it on. Katie, thanks for the news. Thank you. It was you. good, except for the prison thing. That's sad. Uh, again, Katie Jarvis, uh, our great uh, news person who's, who's bringing it to us this whole week. She's she's going to be leaving soon, so we've got to get as much news out of her as we can. Hey, uh, great guest coming up. Dr. Daniel Nilsson will be joining us from Brigham Young University, talking to us about the shell companies. Do you do you have a shell company? I, I don't think you do, Ben. I haven't heard you talk much about the shell company. I, I try and keep it on the down low. Just I don't want people to take advantage of whatever that could offer them. What What do you use your shell company for? No things that involve shale. Um, How did you set it I, up? Where did you set it up? What are the rules behind it, Ben? <laughs> I, I I don't want to like take over the get the Daniel Nielsen's. Yeah, you don't want to steal yeah, his I, thunder. So I, I think I'll just let him talk. See, about this it. is why we bring in the experts because none of us know. We don't have a clue about the show. The correct company. answer would be: I have a guy. I have a guy that does it for me. I have a guy. That really is how it works. So I have this guy. By the way, shell companies, we always kind of attribute them to, um, you know, the offshore shell company. But a lot of times you can go to locations all over the country. Wyoming, for example, they have a racket going. I mean – No, it's it's a legitimate business. It's a legitimate business setting up legitimate shell companies, some of which might do illicit things. Just because there's the opportunity to do something bad doesn't mean something bad is happening. Right. In some of them. You don't know. Exactly. It's the opportunity it's for the anonymity. something bad. We don't know. That's the problem. We don't know what's going on except, you know, the, a terrorist group could be taking oil monies out of Iraq and putting them in a shell company. In Wyoming. In Wyoming. Weird. That's what we're going to figure out, folks. So, uh, you know, you can get the news anywhere, but we're, we're going to give you the real professors that actually will explain what's going on. One question we need to get an answer to is, do the, the people who run these shell companies, do they know where the money's come from? Interesting. I doubt it. So they probably they, don't want to know. Are they making a moral choice to accept questionable, you know, money from yeah. questionable people? Yeah, or that's organizations, a, yeah. or is it all blind? They, they, they just take the, the account number, move the money, don't worry about it. I would bet they want it to just stay blind. You know what I mean? It's just easy, yeah. like, hey, I didn't know. I don't know. I didn't know. Then you can say it's all anonymous, and then your, your liabilities uh, lessened there, I guess. Yeah. Well, so we could allegedly. worry about, like, the terrorist money, but there's other stuff that goes through uh, internet, you know, illegal, you know, internet poker profits, the selling of phony truck parts to the Pentagon. Illegal selling of prescription drugs, trade, trademark infringements, monies from these other illegal activities can be then funneled through these shell companies. And we're going to talk about it with a true blue expert that's, that's researched it and found that we've got some pretty gaping holes. And the easiest place on earth 
to do a shell company is in the United States. We're the headquarters. It's kind of – We're number one. We're number one. USA. USA. <laughs> Nobody can hide money better than those in the USA. So we'll get to that. And um, it's, it's interesting. We also have, uh, you know, interesting stuff going on in the news. Um, tr- Trump and Cruz still at it. Tomorrow night, is it? Tuesday night. They have yes. a big uh, – Five states. Five state. That uh, Trump the is Northeast. leading in all of them. Yeah. It makes you wonder, like, is is Cruz – but Cruz, by the way, was able to get, I think, almost all of Maine's delegates. Yeah. So Cruz just keeps – you know, Trump keeps winning the races and Cruz keeps just stealing the delegates. He's like a little fox in the hen house. Well, I'm not saying he's a fox, by the way. Stealing them makes it sound like he's doing something illicit. Yeah, he's not stealing them. He's just negotiating for them. He's playing the game within the private club that everyone's trying to win the nomination for. Mm-hmm. This is a club, yeah, that will then lead the lead your life. Well, once they run to a general election, then it turns into the federal election process. Okay, at the moment, it's which the is Republican the Republican primary. So which, now it's just the it's just a Republican club. Then it'll be the federal club. Yeah, well, the federal club that has a lot more rules to it that are set. The Republican rules are set by the group, right? So right. they they can set their rules up. They right. were set up beforehand. All the states decided how this was supposed to happen. And if you don't have the organization to go to each state and know what the different rules are, that Colorado is going to have like 10 different primaries in different counties and they'll have those 10-second you know, uh, pitches they did on the stages with people to, to be delegates. If you didn't know how that process was going to work, you're going to walk in there and lose, hmm. which is what happened to Trump. Yeah. And so then he revamps his entire organization to try to get out ahead of the rest of the delegates and Cruz is still – Showing he has a better organization at the moment. Is, uh, so he keeps winning. And Trump <sighs> keeps complaining because he's losing. Yeah. Do you think Trump has done enough on the global stage to warrant a, a school being named after him? No. I don't know if anyone has at this point. No. Austin, Texas, a huge name is the most popular suggested <laughs> replacement name for the Texas Elementary School Named after the top hero of the Confederacy, Donald J. Trump Elementary was the most popular suggestion with 45 submissions out of 240 received, according to the Austin Independent School District. Second most popular suggestion with 34 submissions was to just keep the present name, Robert E. Lee School. Hmm. Keep it that. Just let it be Robert E. Lee. Or, but right now, Donald Trump is, is winning. Did they not hear of Donald Trump University? Yeah. Didn't go well. No. So all you need to do is drive an independent school district out of well, business. And that that's, the I guess, the issue when something popular comes up versus something historic. Yeah. It seems like... You make your choice there. It just seems like you kind of... I mean, some other names, Harper Lee. I mean, huh? it just seems like you really ought to... Call it Bodie McBoatface. Or Schooly McSchoolface. Schooly McSchoolface. <laughs> There's your show. That's great. They could do that. It would probably win. It probably would. I don't know how you get behind that and say if it's a, you know, any sort of athletics or school pride or T-shirts or you don't want to have Schooly McSchoolface. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. You know. You're going to get teased. You're going to get teased. And the naming of anything, as we found, or the placement of a face on a $20 bill, it's just going to create some controversy. 
Yeah. And it really doesn't need to. <laughs> it's not about the person, Matt. It's about the principal. Exactly. We've learned that. And I haven't even process. met the principal to the school of this school. That's right. But it could... it'd be great to know who they are. <laughs> hey, um, uh, an interesting little announcement by one of the Koch brothers, apparently. Yes. He's he was on ABC News. And it's he was careful. He didn't just come out and say it. No. But he he thinks it may be easier to just support Hillary's positions. Possibly. Especially for he and I guess some of his friends that donate a lot of money. The way he explains it's quite interesting. It's let's just let's just get to that. Uh, I think clip number five. So is it possible another Clinton could be better than a Another Republican? It's possible. It's possible. You couldn't see yourself supporting Hillary Clinton, could you? Well, uh, that her, her, we would have to believe her actions would be quite different than her rhetoric. Let me put it that way. Some of the Republican candidates, we would before we could support them, we'd have to believe their actions will be quite different than the rhetoric we've heard so far. So this is Charles Koch from the, one of the Koch brothers. Yes. These are the ones that have basically been the the bane of the Democratic Party's existence for the last 15 years or so. Yes. They've backed a lot of Republican-leaning sort of Billions organizations of and candidates. Mm-hmm. And, and they, 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 had, they said just they had just under a billion dollars to put into this election cycle that they haven't put, in. put any of it in yet because they're – they don't like the Republicans that are running at the moment and they've – you know, Democrats are not really there where they want to go but they're saying – it could be, but yeah. their actions have to be different than their rhetoric. So what they're saying has to has to be different than what they're actually going to do. Yeah, which doesn't make much sense because. Well, and I guess this is the this is the dilemma because no, if if this money isn't being injected into this uh, race, which by the way, there's already been a lot of money injected into the race. Yes, and yet, I'm, I think Reince Priebus must be dying because. He says he's doing all right. He says he's, he? he's fine. He's 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 happy with the process. He thinks it's it's hmm. going to to find a, yeah. a leveling and everything's going to turn out well. But it, but you're going to need the money. Which is the positive spin he's. And let's to just get. say either one, Cruz or Trump. If if the Koch brothers aren't going to throw down a lot of money for this candidate, it seems like they're going to be losing money. And I would assume if yes. the Koch brothers aren't going to. Something I've found that they've been – these guys have been, uh, as you were talking about, because of their backing of Republican candidates. They kind of get vilified a little bit. Yeah. But when you start looking at their motivations, they back candidates that are going to help their business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't back candidates on a, on a like a principle. They're more of a um, – Who's going to help their cause or yeah. their causes. Yeah. And yeah. so they're looking and they're not sure if Ted Cruz or Donald Trump are, is going to help them. They're not sure if Hillary Clinton's going to help them. So well, they're waiting m- to see what happens. Maybe that's what it is, is they just don't know these people as well as they did other candidates. The, the other candidates, let's just say, for lack of a better term, they were deeper in their pocket yes. than these current candidates. <laughs> that's kind of how it works. Interesting. Because you have Cruz who's rejecting that kind of tie, even though he's accepting a lot of money. And you have Trump who's self-financing. Yeah. And then Hillary's not really their candidate. Right. But – But could be yeah. you know, greater of or lesser of two evils. So you try to – Well, many, many, many business people are saying that she does – they believe that Hillary would have like more mainstream, uh, more moderate status quo-ish – type of 
legislation or philosophies that would stay that would keep the market stable. Yes. They're not sure it, what Trump would bring. It used to be the GOP brought they brought the businesses. They were good for executives and, B, and CEOs, but now that's kind of being turned a little upside down. Interesting. Well, we'll get to that. Well, more importantly, we've got to figure out where we're going to put all of our money without the government knowing where we are. It's called a shell. It's a shell company. And uh, who better to teach us than Dr. Daniel Nielsen? He'll be joining us in just a few moments. He is professor and associate chair of political science at Brigham Young University. He's going to walk us through the Panama Papers and some of the big discussion around those those new leaks that have been coming out about uh, who's storing money in offshore accounts. More importantly, he's going to talk about the uh, the possible dangers to the United States about um, around these shell companies. So stick with us. Interesting learning, folks, uh, on all sides of the aisle right here on the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, um, when it when it comes down to your life, your money, your your work, you know, at some point we all have choices to make, right? And uh, as we are, we're we, we're getting ready uh, to talk about this, the Panama Papers, and the fact that there's so many uh, offshore bank accounts and offshore shell accounts that are impacting. Maybe our safety here in the country, but also, uh, you know, just the ability for people to to run a crooked game and then hide the money offshore. And so it can't be tracked by police. It can't be tracked um, in so many different ways that it might be setting us up for harm. And I guess when it comes down to it, there's two sides to this uh, that we really want to get to as we're uh, waiting for our guest. One side is the technical side. What is going on with uh, the Panama Papers themselves or the shell or shell type of organizations? Another issue we have to deal with is just your own corruption, your own character, who you are, right? If, if money is going to be the driving force for all of us, then at some point, is trust going to have to be laid aside? Is there a way to demand more transparency from people uh, that um, that you're in, in a negotiation with? I mean, with companies that float above board that are out there that can we can see, we can see their stock prices, we can see what's going on. It's it's one thing to have the transparency, right? It's it, and we can trust those companies simply because we know who they are. But what about the ones you don't know anything about? What about the fact, possibly, allegedly, that uh, that Vladimir Putin, for example, could have two billion dollars in an offshore bank account mixed through a variety of different locations and places, so it's not even trackable through multiple sources, but he still has access to his $2 billion, right? Which would make you wonder, I mean, people in this election are worried that, you know, how do the Clintons have 100 and whatever million dollars just by doing speeches? Um, well, Vladimir Putin has $2 billion, apparently, in allegedly in some of these accounts. So, folks, what's happening to us? And really, I guess for you, 
What's happening to you as you sit here and drive to work every day, making your dollar and feeling like, uh, are you the only one being legit here? Are you the only one uh, being an honest, you know, well-intended person? I think it's frustrating. And I, and I think in the end, it is for me. I know I sit here and I think, man, uh, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we have more and more scams coming up, more and more people from you know Nairobi that need money to help get their dad out of prison, but then they can send you you know five hundred million dollars or whatever. All of these scams that you see going on in the end, what do you feel? Do you feel like you personally are more trusting in what's going on in the world, or are you starting to lose it? Are you starting to feel like, I can't trust anybody? I can't even trust my cable company. Man, I can't trust my video provider because they're, they're going to now raise fees again. And I can't – I don't know that I can trust that person that's shipping me the package because, man, my book has sure taken a long time to get here. Is your trust in the world dropping? Is your trust in uh, you know the ability to connect and actually believe in organizations dropping? Anyway, we are going to have to dissect that issue because when it comes right down to it too, every one of these organizations have people behind the scenes, right? They have people that are the ones that make the decisions. And um, are you that swayed that you would just, you know, if, I, if you knew you could make a million bucks, not having to do anything even illegal, just something unethical, something immoral, but, I mean, just small, would you do it for a million bucks? You wouldn't go to jail. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be imprisoned. How unethical? Just you'd have to lie to your employees on such a level – that you probably at the end of this thing couldn't keep your employees. Would it end up in some sort of legal charges? No, because there's a gray area where you can do something. Oh, yeah. It's unethical, but no one's actually going to charge you with anything. Right. It looks bad. It looks really bad. But like, let's just say it's, it's legally you're fine, but morally you will let 30 people go that were depending on you. Hmm. But at the very end of it, you will gain a million dollars. Hmm. Like your business will gain or yeah. you personally will gain? Well, no, your business, which you would then put in an offshore bank account. Oh. Hmm. What do you think? It's, it's a moral dilemma. What, what are your, your loyalties to, your business or the employees? Or are, are they the same thing? So... <laughs> I was told early on. Who told you this first? This was a college professor. Okay. The institution will not protect you. Interesting. But if you own the institution, it will protect you. So if you're the employee. Yeah. Hmm? This uh-huh. idea that, you know, you, you walk into a, a business and they try to pump up this concept of team, this concept of family. You'll yeah. hear that a lot. Yeah. But whenever you – know, then you have a situation like this where there's a decision to be made and you could be kind of lopped off as kind of, well, we yeah. can just kind of deal with your loss to better the business. 
So yeah. you take a hit because it's what's better for the business, says the person who runs says the place. the man. So the institution right there isn't supporting the individual. Right. Right. But the individual is supposed to support the institution. So, you know, loyalties, they're where they're at. Now, when it comes to what you're talking about, the bigger decision, hmm. See, this is this is why I bring it up because, you know, these shell companies, that's one thing. But the, some people are making decisions to move money into the shell companies. And a lot of it is probably for good reasons, right? I mean, I mean, they're doing it for tax, probably yeah. avoidance. So maybe it's not good reasons. Well, but. we heard the interview with Tim Cook from Apple. Yeah. There, he, uh, they asked him on CBS. They asked him about all the money that you have in off- offshore bank accounts. And he got really defensive. And he was saying that, that they, Apple pays all of our taxes. We do everything that we're legally required to do. Yeah. Though they do keep a lot of money overseas. Now, I believe what that is is money they've made overseas. They just don't bring it back to the U.S. Well, yeah. They leave it in accounts overseas. Right. So then they don't have to worry about and – and he said right there, he goes, it's good business. He goes, well, if I bring it back here, it gets taxed at 40%. So you have a fiduciary Which might not be the exact number, but right. you get the idea. So these, these executives have got to keep – they've got to keep, you know – They've got to save their ta- their shareholders' money. That's their job. And if they're if they're or make, if you they're know, following the, money, the yeah. rules, if the rules are bad, that's the government's job to fix. And that's kind of what has been the which is and the excuse the, the, in the, with these shell companies. They're not doing anything illegal. The, the setting up a company, there's nothing illegal about setting up a shell company at all. It's just what you're using it for, it, and what's going on behind this. It looks bad, and then there's this. Um, the instant other, you know, next line of whatever story it is, is that usually people use this to avoid taxes. Yeah. And if you remember back in the 2012, uh, not 2012, 20, Mitt Romney, he ran in 2012, yeah, 2012, right? So 2012 election, Mitt Romney was, they're having, there was a debate and they were talking to, you know, Mitt Romney had some shell companies, had some money overseas. Right. And he was kind of being vilified for that. And he constantly said, he goes, the law says I can do this. If you have a problem with it, fix the law. See, you're following the law, except here's the here's the moral issue, right? I guess in the end, are we going to um, are you going to do something immoral? Because you can, mm. you could fire your thirty employees. Right? There's legal. There's not legal. Right? Then there's you made the moral. promises. We had commitments. You got a deal. Someone else buys the company. Whatever, and you make your million dollars. But in the end. Um, that's, I think, what's going on behind the scenes with these these kind of shell games. It's legal. It's it's even possibly moral to a point until you're starting to use it for other reasons and other purposes. And so, we'll, we'll uh, we will take a break. Our our guest um, is uh, struggling to get here. So one of the things we're going to do is we'll probably talk more just about his article coming up because one of the biggest issues that uh, our guest, Dr. Daniel Nelson, had been researching is kind of the 9-11 scenario and the impact that a lot of this can have on terror because we don't know whose money is where and we don't know um, who's behind some of this uh, these funds. And so that actually makes it easier to get money and resources into the United States, which then can be used as a tool in terror. So we'll talk about that when we come back more on this crazy shell game world, but also be thinking about the ethics of it. Again, it takes people to make these decisions. Are you one of the people? 
Are you one of the people that will give up your morality to make a buck? Got to ask it. We'll be right back. Stick with us, folks. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we're going to do a quick rundown for you. Um, if you're wondering about uh, these Panama Papers, you know, again, we are not leading financial experts. However, we can read. And uh, today, uh, you know, as you've heard about um, the Panama Papers, it was there was a publication of about 11.5 million leaked records from a law firm uh, in Panama named Mossack Fonseca. And uh, Mossack Fonseca, this law firm, uh, had basically been providing offshore companies, trusts, foundations, and, and incorporations for their, for their clients worldwide. For the last 40 years, they've basically been creating and setting up you know, business entities, trust funds, foundations, legal entities uh, from offshore companies, from companies actually all over the world, were setting them up through this law firm. And out of the law firm, um, 11.5 million uh, of their records were leaked. And it revealed that, and it was giving all of the data, all of the information, like who are the partners in the companies behind some of the other shell companies? And it is now creating a worldwide uh, discussion that is, um, I guess, unprecedented. And one of our guests last week brought up the fact that everyone in the United States keeps talking about, you know, uh, Trump, Cruz. But worldwide, they're talking about the Panama Papers. We're not even into it. We hardly discuss it because we tend to be more caught up in everything else, you know, that's more situational to the United States. And one of our guests last week that was talking about the fact that, you know, we are so provincial. We're so into our world as Americans that uh, we're not even listening to the, the international world. I mean, sure, if there's an international incident where a terrorist act takes place, then we jump on board. But uh, the Panama Papers, it's an enormous, it's an enormous leak. And uh, because what it's revealing is that these 215,000 companies and trust funds and foundations inside of some of those are organizations that are doing illegal things, money laundering, arms deals, drug deals, tax evasion, and even potentially setting up you know, holding accounts for terrorist acts. So it's a big deal. Just a little of the background, okay? Um, usually what hap- has to happen, and, and in all of everything that they've sorted through, of the 11 million leaks, they found that there's 215-ish thousand companies, trust funds. Out of those, they found that there's three nominee services, which are fake directors appointed so that the owners of the money don't actually, their names don't appear. So out of those papers, they found fake uh, nominee services. They've uh, noticed that there's 500-plus banks 
and subsidiaries that are creating offshore companies through Mossack Fonseca. So globally, there's 500 banking units that are creating these subsidiaries. The shell companies, um, uh, you know, a shell company then appears to be like a, a legitimate business, right? But it has secrecy, right? So it has the shell game where you don't know exactly where the owners are. You don't know where the money's coming from. You don't know any of that. And then what these shell companies start to do is they start layering and have different layers and layers and layers of shell companies. So money is being passed through three shells, let's say, uh, with supposed fake business transactions. And that's how money gets from person A back or from the – without tax implications, without anybody knowing how that stolen money from the stolen parts that were taken off of a cargo ship, that money then it can eventually get back to some owner, let's say, in Spain. It's the shell game. And uh, it's a big deal. Now, here's where it all has gotten messy. 500 banks are are now implicated with 15,000 offshore companies, 12 national uh, either sitting political leaders or uh, – I don't know what you call them – retired political leaders from national leaders, 143 politicians, their families, associates – uh, David Cameron, the Prime Minister of the UK, his father's been implicated. Um, Iceland's president or Prime Minister, Prime Minister however they, has been implicated. Uh, the rumors. I don't know if he. I I still lost track of that story. He either stepped down, he said he was going to step down and retracted, or there were rumors or something. But he's having a lot of political pressure put <laughs> upon him because of the choices he made here. And it's a uh, twenty-two point nine trillion dollar tax haven globally. Total sum estimated hidden away in tax havens globally. It's the equivalent of the annual economic output of the United States and Japan combined. 22.9. Now, that's not the Panama Papers. That's all of the shells, I guess, in the world. Now, the firm the Panama Papers leaked from. Yeah. Well, Mossack Fonseca. Is said to be like the third biggest company that does this. Yeah. So some people think maybe the top two teamed up to take them out. Or maybe somebody below them teamed up to take them out. Maybe some corporate espionage. Interesting. But see, now all these people are going to just start going to the others yeah. and just setting them up. And, Might uh, just be business. According to some research done through Brigham Young University and three professors here on campus, um, the United States is the easiest place to set these up. Yeah. And so, again, it's. I think everybody they, – they knew they were doing it. I mean you, when I grew up, it was, ooh, you have a Swiss bank account and you go put your money in the Swiss bank account and I guess it's anonymous and nobody knew. But uh, this is a little bit shadier, right, because of the some of the illegalities that are going the, on. The other it. side of this that was kind of interesting is all this information came out of a international journalism group. That uh, what they do is they 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 they'll take this information anonymously. Journalists will will grab it. They'll start studying it and try to break it down and figure out what information is is important in this, and then they release it. And uh, they still have more documents, right? I mean, we were talking about how many did how much did it say how much data? I mean, the amounts of yeah, information 11. was eleven point three billion. 
No, 11.5 million leaked records. Yeah, so it's not like they've been through every sheet of paper here. Right. So this could just keep trickling out over time. At one point, uh, they said that they were going to release some of these documents to uh, to governments to look over, but or other news organizations, and they've backed off on that. So this international journalist group has been – they've basically named – these are some of the people they've named that, that, that are you know known people. Um, former Tory uh, – a form of uh, in the UK, one of their one of the parties, parties um, donor Lord Ashcroft, conservative peer and Baroness Sharples, and former Tory minister Michael Mates. I mean, some big name people in the UK being totally kind of exposed. Not necessarily the the people you see on the news yeah. that represent the uh, the government there, but maybe a second tier that have a lot of influence. They're um, making these types of choices. And again, you uh, along with 140 other political figures. But I guess and, – and also um, now you've got 100 media groups jumping in with this consortium and worldwide, globally, it's, it's hitting the fan. This is exposing well, a lot of – It plays into the narrative of the little guy who's struggling to get by these people you elect to office. Well, they're shoving their money overseas kind of protecting themselves from from taxes and those types of things. And that that plays into, you know, you're not representing me. You're not there fighting for the little guy. You're out there kind of just trying to protect yourself and make sure that you are okay in the end. And there is a difference, and it's a distinguishable difference between tax avoidance, which companies, people that are wealthy, or all of us would do, but avoidance means you use every legal means to not have to pay what you don't have to pay, but you verify, you validate that it's legal. Tax evasion is where you find every illegal means to hide your money, and um, and there's a difference. So why I want to bring this up um, is simply because the world's talking about it, and I don't hear it much in the United States. I just don't hear it. We talk about walls. We talk about terrorists coming in from the north and the south to infiltrate America but we rarely – we even talk about shell accounts when we can throw someone under the bus for having put money in an offshore account. But what we probably need to be talking about is our own safety. And so we'll get our our professor, Daniel Nelson, that we were uh, going to have on. We'll have him on later to talk about this terrorist threat side of these accounts. And um, I mean really, we've we've got to not just track bodies when it comes to terrorism and security. We've also got to track the money. A lot of times without the money, the bodies are are irrelevant. We'll take a break, folks, and uh, come back, continue the discussion. This is the first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. We can't do it without you. So in about two minutes, we'll continue the discussion about uh, some of the the great benefits of, um, you know, of life, of being human, of being a part of such a great country. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, if you're still keeping your eye on um, the presidential election, you have probably been noticing that Donald Trump, he seems to be uh, holding his lead. It comes to those northern primary states. You know, next week uh, there there's going to be a lot of uh, activity. Uh, actually, tomorrow uh, there's going to be a lot of activity um, as many are going to the primaries uh, up in the Northeast Corridor. Now, here's the dilemma. 
it seems like uh, Trump dominating most of the polls. And uh, honestly, in it seems like also a Cruz and Kasich are just dividing the vote, right? Well, apparently the two have figured that out. And they both believe, uh, according to what they've announced just uh, recently, Ted Cruz, according to CNN, and John Kasich are joining forces in a last-ditch effort to deny Donald the Republican presidential nomination. They're going to start to divide and conquer. And um, basically, here's how they're going to do it. And, and they released uh, these statements within minutes of each other late Sunday night, so late last night, saying that they will divide their efforts in the upcoming contest with Cruz focusing on Indiana and Kasich devoting his efforts to Oregon and New Mexico. So they're actually dividing up what states they're going to go after. Cruz is going to go after um, after uh, Indiana, because if Cruz can stop Indiana, that's one of the major, major uh, ways that they could decrease Trump's lead. If not, if if Trump sweeps this Northeast, as everybody kind of assumes he will, then Cruz and Kasich are just – they're going to do whatever they can to, to snatch Oregon, make sure he doesn't get the delegates from there. New Mexico, Indiana, they need those three wins plus a good showing probably in California um, or at least to get some of the delegates out of California. So it's uh, – do you think though, Terry, to me this seems like they're, they're basically showing they don't have a chance. The minute you have to divide – To it, stop it? They're saying the only way – the only way they're going to be able to play this game is stopping Trump and hoping for a second, third, or fourth, or fifth round vote right. at the convention. Yeah. And and if, uh, NBC News, I was reading a piece from them saying that you know Ted Cruz has been talking for weeks. This is a two-man race. Just yeah. discounting Kasich completely. Yeah. But this shows that he realizes that uh, that's – realizes what people have been saying that, OK, that's nice, Ted, but the math doesn't work. And he's like, no, 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 it'll work. I, I, it's not going to work. So he needs Kasich to help. So if you, you, you go where, where Kasich is stronger and Cruz is stronger and focus there. Hey, maybe brother. You can, maybe you can block Trump. I'm not sure. Yeah. I it, don't – It does seem like a last-ditch effort. And – what what's supposed to happen? I guess everyone in Indiana that follows Kasich is supposed to throw their votes to Cruz. That that would probably be the idea. If they, I, I don't know if they've gone that far to tell their supporters to vote for the other guy, but maybe they will. But do, whatever you do, take the hit here for the betterment of America. Yeah. I mean, really, Trump is in a great position. So tomorrow, Republicans in Maryland, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Connecticut, and Rhode Island they head to the polls. He's leading, and I think in every one of those areas. And really, I think Kasich has a couple of them, and and Cruz has second place in a couple of them. And so it's just a fight for who's second place. Says a senior Kasich aide told NBC News that the PAC comes as everyone need, needed an open convention, and that's how you get there. The goal is to make it clear that they hope outside groups like Stop Trump Forces will help out both sides. We are very comfortable with our delegation, our delegate position in Indiana already. And uh, referring to Kasich's campaign, claimed to have already gained more committed delegates in the state than either Trump or Cruz. So, uh, you still, you you have like from last week all the messaging that's out there that they're trying to position themselves. And now over the weekend, they they both come out with a coordinated announcement that they're going to work together. Hmm. So now it's kind of confusing because I, I think. Um, 
Because, like, what, Indiana, Cruz is supposed to focus on Indiana, but Kasich had events planned in Indiana. So does he cancel those and just go to New Mexico or? Isn't this crazy? Yeah. And it's also interesting that it seems like Kasich would have had some good poll in Indiana. See, in Indiana, the latest uh, polling that's come out of there has Trump at 41 percent, Cruz at 33, and Kasich at 16. Hmm. So if Kasich's people all get behind Cruz, hmm. right, then he just then he has just a little bit more than Trump if people will do that. And we got him. We got him, you guys. If people buy into this. They've yeah. tried it before. Right. And people didn't really jump on the bandwagon. No. You have to get all the supporters thinking, okay, we're trying to stop Trump. We're not trying to get our guy elected. And by trying to stop Trump, it gives our guy a better shot because we're forcing action at the convention. Hmm. Except I don't think voters think that multidimensionally. I think they think, no. you know, I'm going to vote for my guy. Right. And I don't know. In the end, here's the deal. Let's say Trump comes up a little short in the end. Let's say he has 1,100 uh, delegates, um, you know, or maybe 1,200 delegates. He's lacking 37. Then you just call Kasich and you say, hey, buddy, I want you to be my vice president. Do you think, do you think Kasich would, would at the convention – just throw his delegates toward Trump to be the vice president. He said he's nobody's vice president. He said that multiple times. I'm nobody's vice president. <laughs> really? So I don't know. Man, I'd be a vice president. Would you? Well, wouldn't it be better than, I don't know, being unemployed? He could go be the governor of Ohio. Plus, just think of how many ships you could christen. Right. You're, you're basically the guy that uh, goes to all the parties. And Until, you get to sit behind the president during the State of the Union. Try not to fall asleep. Yeah. Clap it appropriately. Clap times. appropriately. Look dignified. Oh, jeez. Try, not, try not to say anything counter to counter around the president, <laughs> which is kind of tough. Don't for swear some on a live microphone. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. Don't touch a supreme or a uh, defense secretary's wife with a weird, awkward hug. Just stuff like that. See, I wouldn't do that. Come on. Not touching anybody. We'll take a break, folks. Uh, We'll be right back next hour. Great uh, topic about movies. Do you feel like uh, Hollywood's lost a little of its creativity? Everything's a sequel. We'll find out in just a few minutes. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Man, it's Monday. You're back at it. I know you probably don't want to have to go back to work. I get it. Get in line. But you know what? While we're, we have to go, let's just make it the best. That's what we try to do on the show is bring you uh, some positive stuff, some positive news, sometimes just some wacky, crazy information. You know, stuff that you never knew you needed to know. But we bring it to you anyway. Like, what better way to start than the movies... I tried to go find Battleship per our discussion last week Yeah, and uh, found it. So it looks like I'm going to be watching Battleship sometime soon. Really? Yeah. Well, good. 
And uh, well, n- not not good. Not but good. I'm glad you were successful in your search. The movie, eh, not so much. <laughs> I. Yeah. Movie failed oh. badly. Well, it failed badly, but well, no, it, it seems like the trailer is incredible. It's reviewed well. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look any place, probably gives it about three out of five, which means it's it's rentable. Yeah. And you can watch it, and it's just kind of brainless fun. Stuff blows up and aliens, and it's all based on a board game. But, you know. Mm-hmm. We, we, always, we always end up talking about, and you especially, because you, Marvel Comics and um, DC, DC Comics. comics they just keep cranking out more movies, more movies, and, it's and almost, I keep just handing them my money. Like yeah. here you go. Actually, it's my mom's, but, but that's a different story. You keep handing your mom's money. <laughs> well, she gives me gift cards to movie theaters, and oh, I just, she does. That, yeah, so that's where I. Well, that's a good mother. Well, it's a good gift because then she's like, "What do you want for your birthday?" And I'm like, I don't know. Give me a movie gift card. I always just say cash. So I've got all. Well, that's kind of what it is. Yeah. She wants to give me something, so do that. It's and then my, I can take my kid to go see movies, and so that's how we see so movies. So Marvel Comics can now take like old content from comic books and heroes that they've created, and now they can just start turning movies. Disney is also going back. Mm-hmm. Jungle Book, Beauty and the Beast, Pinocchio, Sword in the Stone, all of these movies are just – they're all back. So are there no real new innovative writers anymore? Well, That's what my worry I was. I think the idea – it, the idea of a movie, what 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 it's going to be based on, is where there there's a lack of say originality and creativity that way. But within the idea of okay, like there, I was just telling you uh, earlier today, Hanna Barbera, they yeah. made all these cartoons, Scooby Doo, and all these. Mm-hmm. They are creating their own cinematic universe, right? So yeah. they're they're going to somehow figure out how to take several groups of characters and have them interact within movies and have these... Now, I don't know if they're live action or cartoons or how they're going to do this, but they're working on it. Yeah. Transformers, who's already had probably about four movies, five movies, all of them bad. (laughs) All of them have made a billion dollars a piece, but they're all reviewed horribly. They're working on making a interconnected universe of their own. And they just keep doing this because the creativity is trying to keep it going Trying to keep, right. create a new idea instead of creating a whole new concept for a movie. Yeah, just just go with what everyone has loved for years, but so it's less of a risk, and then let's just keep repackaging it. Yeah, repackage. But to me, I don't. That bugs me. So I wanted to ask a, a professor that studies film: Is this good or bad? Is this good or bad? What's really going on? Is it a reflection on us as a mm-hmm. society or yeah. the industry of filmmaking? Or, or we have we just lost the ability to be creative and create innovative new ideas? So we'll talk to Dr. Amanda Klein about that. But first, let's get to the headlines and uh, with Katie Jarvis, find out what's going on around the rest of the world. Katie? Thanks, Matt. The United States has turned its cyber arsenal on ISIS. Cyber Command has been attacking the Islamic State, disrupting their communications, recruitment, and day-to-day operations. Cyber Command typically focuses on nations that use the Internet to attack the U.S., like Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea. But President Obama has added ISIS to the list of targets. Any official discussion of cyber warfare is extremely rare. Officials were only clear to talk about it this time because ISIS is not a country, so there are no legal issues about violating sovereignty. Ted Cruz has been teaming up with Governor John Kasich to beat Donald Trump. Cruz's campaign released a statement last night announcing that he will focus his efforts on Indiana and allow rival John Kasich to devote his resources to Oregon and New Mexico. 
They said they would hope allies of both campaigns will follow their lead. The Ohio governor's campaign confirmed that Kasich is ceding Indiana to Cruz and refocusing efforts in the West. And the city of Cleveland has agreed to pay the family of Tamir Rice $6 million. The settlement comes to address a federal lawsuit filed over the 12-year-old's shooting in November 2014. A police officer shot Tamir while the boy was playing with an airsoft pellet gun outside of the recreation center. The officer and his partner were responding to a report from a dispatcher of a man with a gun at the time. Tamir died the day after the shooting, and the lawsuit was filed two weeks after his death. His family and the city agreed to enter settlement talks shortly after. And Prince topped the Billboard 200 chart right after his death. The album The Very Best of Prince and Purple Rain topped the Billboard 200 albums chart almost immediately following the death of the 57-year-old icon. He passed away Thursday and fans rushed to purchase enough of the music in just a half day that records qualified for the two highest-selling albums of the entire week. And British astronaut Tim Peake has completed the London Marathon from space. Peake ran the 26.2-mile race harnessed to a treadmill in the International Space Station. It was a simulation of the route through London streets. He finished in three hours and 35 minutes. And that's an update for today. Back to you, Matt. Thank you, Katie. Uh, man, running the marathon in a space station. Yeah. They, they, they tethered him to the... Uh to the treadmill because you know you don't want to run off into the wall i think if we were really counting his miles yeah it was probably a lot more a lot more than that but he did it in three hours i know that's pretty cool yeah i there's lots of things i could accomplish in three hours a marathon is not one do you sweat in space i guess you do and where does that like where does that drop of sweat go yeah that's got to be nasty. Larry, have you been running again? <laughs> it's just floating around the room again. There's this mist. <laughs> There's this floating mist of Larry. Hey, um, <laughs> it's just sick. You got to you got to here's sick for you. Okay, a Rhode Island man who has 13 dead chickens hanging from trees outside his home is now drawing complaints from the neighbors. Now, he yeah. is. Like now. After 13, do you think maybe 6, 7? Be a little weird, but thirteen. Okay. Well, thirteen's an unlucky number. I think true. that's totally true. true. That's probably that. What's what it was? The Newport Daily News reports that uh, the Tivertown Tivertown uh, man told police Wednesday he is simply drying the chickens out before properly disposing of them. Oh, okay. That's why, by the way, we offer a new uh, appliance um, from Tasers RS. It's called the um, the chicken dryer. Tase it. Hmm. If you tase a chicken enough, you'll dry them right out. I mean, a dead chicken. We're talking about a dead chicken. We're not right. talking about a live chicken. You wouldn't want to tase a live chicken. No. That's not, that's not healthy. Good. So take the dead chicken. You don't have to hang them from your trees anymore because that is a problem, a nuisance. Now you just tase them. And if you tase them enough, those things will dry right out. The spirit of innovation is find a need and fill that need. Exactly. And you're doing that. See, Good that's job, what I did. Good job, and the funny thing is um, – you know, a lot of people would just bury the chicken, mm. throw the chicken away, right? have it disposed of some other way. These are all options. Uh, but apparently he needs to dry it so that he can properly dispose of it. Ah. He is the steward of the earth. Mm. Yeah. He is the keeper of the chickens. <laughs> the dryer of the chickens. That's mm. crazy town. Hey, um, anyway – you got to watch out. 
That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. That's you just got to watch out. Sick of it. Terry, what have you got? My uh, favorite story of the year so far. What? The Bundys. No, Ammon, hold on, hold on, hold on. Ammon Bundy. Favorite story? My favorite story by far. Okay. And the Bundys, these are the... They, they, uh, first of the year, they went into the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge in southeastern Oregon. Yeah. And they had a, I guess, a protest slash well, they took the area over... With the death of a man in a shootout in the middle of well, the that happened thing. towards the end. Just initially, they yeah. went in there to protest federal government and the you know the, the land that the federal government owns that needs to go back to the people and ranchers' rights and things of that nature. Uh, well, all these individuals have been arrested. There's 27 of them in all. As you as you said, yeah. one of them was uh, was killed in a in a confrontation with federal authorities. There's some sketchiness involved with how that all went down. Also, if you want to look into that, uh, but the uh, the 27 are going into court. And so people are interested to see how these individuals yeah. are going to try to defend themselves. Because, yeah, that didn't go well. They so, left a mess. Yeah, there was trenches and all kinds of nastiness that were uh, deposited around the area. They, they, they tore through a bunch of uh, Native American uh, relics, relics and some yeah. sacred lands that they have around the area that were protected. So it says the federal government does not own the National Wildlife Refuge, has no right to have federal employees work on the land, and thus has no right to charge anyone with interfering with that work. Okay. That's the crux of the argument lawyers for Ammon Bundy planned, uh, planned to out forth, according to documents filed in federal court on Friday. The motion to dismiss this case will challenge the federal government's authority to assert ownership over the land that is now known as the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge, writes Lisa Casey, one of Bundy's lawyers. It's a defendant's position that the uh, that this authority is critical to the federal government's authority to have federal employees working on that land. Jurisdiction in this case will determine whether the federal government can prosecute protesters for being there at all. Hmm. Now, to do this, to challenge the government's ability to actually uh, operate that land and have workers yeah. there and for, that, for what, the, what took place to have been illegal, is they have to challenge a 1935 or United States versus Oregon case, which established the government's ownership of that wildlife refuge. Oh, boy. So they've got to go back to some case – 1935, U.S. versus uh, Oregon. Bundy's arguments are that the enclave cause prevents federal ownership of the land while it has gained widespread acceptance among certain groups. It has never been adopted by the United States Supreme Court or any appellate court. Hmm. So they're hoping that one of the higher courts would, uh, would adopt this and then that would be their out. Yes. Except for the fact that they don't own it either. No. So they still were trespassing on someone else's not property. If it's Amer- not if it's the people's land. Well, whose land are the people? What do you mean? Well, I mean, is that a city park is the people's well, land? Well, they're, 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 their key is that the federal government doesn't own it. Well, nor would these people that then took it. But what they're saying is the government can't charge them with something if the government didn't own the land. Except unless you didn't own it either. So you're using logic here, and that's not going to work. <laughs> Because, I mean, the federal government doesn't own my property, but if someone came and they had a two-month stand on my property and they dug trenches around my house, I'd let the federal government prosecute them. Yeah. So Jennifer Rocala, executive director of the Center for Western Priorities, also sees Bundy having a hard time proving the case. She says, we look forward to Ammon Bundy's attempt to relitigate 200 years of Jew- Jewish prudence regarding the property clause. 
and Oregon versus the United States, the 1935 Supreme Court case that specifically established America's people's ownership of that wildlife refuge. He says Bundy's case is the perfect opportunity to remind anyone who would try to take land from the American people that such efforts are wildly unpopular, unwise, and unlikely to succeed. Mm. His lawyer, Mike Arnold, one of Bundy's lawyers, says that while there is a, a case law arguing the opposite of what his client intends to prove, the case law was wrongly decided. Wow. That's a stretch. They've got a, this, this is a big grab. Yes. And it's, you can see how this could go on for a while. Yeah. I, I think we'll be hearing about this. Things are getting tied up in court. very, 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 very long time. Uh, folks, we're going to take a break, but uh, when we come back, we'll be talking about originality in filmmaking. Where has it gone? Why are there so many sequels, for heaven's sake? Spinoffs, remakes, reboots. Have, is nobody writing original content and creating original characters? Well, we're going to talk to a film producer or a film uh, uh, professor and uh, find out what's really going on in Hollywood that makes the need to reboot uh, instead of, you know, innovate and create new content. Is it really the viewer's issue? Hollywood's just taking care of them? Or is it someone else's problem? We'll stick. We'll figure it out. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, and uh, all you movie lovers, right? You know you love to go to a good movie, but uh, I don't know if you know this. Disney recently announced a lineup of live-action films that include, tell me if you've ever heard any of these stories, The Jungle Book, Beauty and the Beast, Pinocchio, and The Sword in the Stone. You know, many of these will be remakes of the originals, like uh, much like we saw with Cinderella in 2015. A number of sequels are also coming up uh, this year. The number of sequels and remakes begs the question, where has the originality gone in Hollywood? Is the film industry afraid of new ideas? Our guest today is Amanda Klein, co-author of Cycles, Sequels, Spinoffs, Remakes, and Reboots, Multiplicities in the Film and Television World. She joins us now live from North Carolina to talk to us about her book. Ms. Klein, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Ms. Klein, are you there? We're trying to get her up on Skype, which sometimes is a little tricky. Ms. Klein, are you there? One of the things that she mentioned in her article as they're continuing to do their work to get her up uh, is um, she wrote an article in the Atlantic.com. And uh, she was talking about the fact that you you may have heard of a movie that came out uh, called Battleship. And uh, it was a really popular movie. I think it actually appeared at the same time Transformers uh, was released. And so um, it didn't get as much attention because, you know, Transformers kind of stole its thunder. In fact, I remember watching Transformers waiting for a carrier to be eaten by something – Anyway, which was a mix of my brain thinking Transformers and Battleship are the same thing. Um, but one of the things that uh, you may not know is that movie uh, Battleship, um, which, by the way, made $300 million back on the $200 million they invested into it. It actually was um, announced because Monopoly um, uh, is, is starting to take some of its board games 
and see if they can't make some big screen treatments around them, including Action Man and, yes, even Hungry Hungry Hippos. So Hollywood is desperate to get um, these, these uh, I guess, topics and ideas. And uh, let's see. Available? Are you there? Not yet. Um, we'll get to her and, and talk about it. In her article, though, she, she you know, talks about that. Why is it that we, we have these blockbusters? Even like, for example, the Star Wars, is, it's already got a great brand, right? And um, so if it's got a great brand, why wouldn't you just keep putting it out there? Why wouldn't you just keep making more and more and more you know, sequels and a series around it? Well, you know, financially, it's great for money, but I sit there and I wonder, where's the original idea? Where's the original story? I guess these franchises become so valuable because they also are able to then go hook in and you can now start having apparel and clothes, right? And um, you can have toys and figures and all of this other money that can be hanging around it. Remember, um, even Disney now is is who's the master of all of this they they still are going back to reboot a lot of their branding so is the branding what we're looking for is the branding is that what's best for us and is it the is it really us as customers is it you as a customer and your love of the reboots that keep driving hollywood or is hollywood just giving us more stuff that they can make more money on that's what we're going to get to. We'll take a break and find out uh, if we can get her on the line through Skype. It's one of the great benefits of technology. It's also one of the, the difficult truths. We'll come back uh, with Amanda Klein um, from East Carolina. She's a professor there and also um, author of the book Cycles, Sequels, Spinoffs, Remakes, and Reboots. Folks, stick with us. We'll be right back. See if we can't reboot her on Skype. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, we finally were able to figure it out with our next guest, Amanda Klein. Dr. Amanda Klein is joining us. She is, again, a professor at uh, East Carolina University and has co-authored the book Cycles, Sequels, Spinoffs, Remakes, and Reboots, Multiplicities in Film and Television. She's here today to talk to us about uh, where the originality in filmmaking has gone. Amanda Klein, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, I'm glad we could uh, figure out our tech. <laughs> I tell you, it's the tech that'll kill you, and it's the greatest benefit ever. Well, we appreciate sure. you being here. Um, before we were talking about all of the remakes, you know, Disney's uh, Beauty and the Beast, Pinocchio, Sword in the Stone. What's what's going on with Hollywood? Why so many sequels? Why so many remakes? Well, I mean, th- there's a few things here. I think the first thing to remember is that it is incredibly expensive to make a motion picture. And uh, studios are becoming increasingly risk averse, uh, given, you know, there, there are so many ways to consume content now beyond going to a movie theater. So uh, right now, if it seems that there are a lot more sequels, a lot more remakes and reboots, I think overall there are more. And I think it's a reaction to uh, an overall anxiety in Hollywood about having safe bets, you know, mm. having 
properties that you know are going to make money. Because everybody knows kids love Cinderella. They love Beauty and the Beast. It's not an unknown. Um, they can budget for it. They know they can do marketing tie-ins. They can sell Happy Meals you know, yeah. with, with toys inside. Um, but having said that, um, this is a very common practice in Hollywood. This has been happening in the movie industry since, you know, since the invention of cinema. So it's not that it's a new practice, uh, but I would say definitely right now we're experiencing an, uh, an increase overall. Yeah. So, um, so and I think it, it says a lot about the economics. That's in it, huh? Right so it's, it's really kind of an economic uh, kind of one reason, I guess the driving yeah. reason is the economics. Is it... But I wonder, and, and you see it because you, you see it in your university and in school. I mean, I, I would assume the creativity, the originality, those scripts exist, but you're saying mm-hmm. they're just too risky. They're, they're unknown properties. That's correct. And so where you're going to see kind of um, the non-sequel, uh, non-reboot, uh, non-remake uh, style stories are going to probably be in the independent film uh, uh world, maybe a little bit, you know, if you look at Hulu or Netflix, where um, you can really see it in television right now. They're taking a lot of chances on inventive, interesting, weird TV, uh, because there's so many opportunities and it's lower risk. Mm. Um, Anytime it's cheaper to make a a cultural product, you're going to have more risk. When it's more expensive, you're going to have more conservatism. So right now in Hollywood, if you want to make a lot of money, if you want to put a star and pay their big salary, um, if you want to get a lot of money from the studio um, and from investors, then you really do need to um, you need to have a property that you're sure is going to make money. And so that's why they keep kind of going back to the same wells. And then, of course, it's really good for you know the way media conglomerates are set up right now, where you might own a magazine, um, a toy company, music movies, they're all under the same umbrella. Mm. So you make one product and then you can sell it across all those different platforms. So that's another motivation. Yeah. Is it, um, I mean, you, you do see that, don't you, with all of the original mm-hmm. series from Netflix. And then I, I don't know, do, do do those ever spin into, you know, major motion pictures? Um, I guess it's too early to tell. This is sort of a new phenomenon that's happening in television. Television is sort of experiencing, um, I think, a lot of what was going on with the cinema when it became much cheaper to make movies right after World War II when we have, you know, portable equipment, people could film on location. You know, you didn't need a huge budget or a studio to make a film. Um, And I imagine it's going to happen again with movies. You know, all of these things move in, in cycles. So eventually, I think, especially given how cheap it is to make a movie, say, on an iPhone, um, that we're going to start to see a shift. But right now, this is kind of where we are um, with movies. And people, I mean, to be fair, people are enjoying it. (laughs) They're they're paying to go. So there's something that's still appealing. Something's working. Now, in your book, um, you, you talk about, I think one of your chapters is called Vicious Cycle. Jaws and Revenge of Nature films of the 1970s. But like Jaws, for example, as a sequel, it seemed to kind of lose some of its power with every iteration, every new uh, new show. Is that – do they worry about that? Um, you mean does Hollywood worry yeah. about that? <laughs> um, I – well, so I or guess is it, it just you know, push out the next one? statements, but – I would say, um, you know, I think some sequels are better than the original. Some are worse. Some are about the same. So I, I wouldn't say it's a uniform phenomenon. Mm-hmm. But I will say, you know, if you grab kind of any given sequel and compare it to something that's not a sequel, 
Will the quality be better in the, you know, the, the more original film? Possibly. But um, I think we also, as a society, really put this value on this concept of originality, even though there are very few things that are original right. in, in culture. Everything is an update, a twist. You know, Shakespeare's plays were, were basically iterations on previous plays. Mm -hmm. So everything that we think of as sort of original and high art isn't really all that original at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess do, do, do these get awarded? I, I, I'm not sure I've seen, do they get awarded as much? And I mean, like you see, uh, with the Academy Awards, it's not, it doesn't seem like it's the sequels that keep taking You're all right. the prizes. Yeah. So that's really, I thought this year was super interesting because we had two films that were part of franchises. We had the Star Wars movie and we had Mad Max. Mm -hmm. And they got, if you looked at the awards, um, Mad Max got so many yeah. nominations for editing, um, for, I want to say, script, uh, maybe cinematography. Uh, but it did not end up winning the big prize, which is very telling, I think, because I think Mad Max um, Fury Road was a great example of taking an established story property and really doing something interesting and new with it. So just because you're making a sequel or a remake or a reboot doesn't automatically mean you're making something devoid right. of originality or interest. I thought that was, I mean, my, that was probably my favorite movie of, of the past year. I thought mm. that was just a brilliant film. And I do think that there was prejudice against the franchise. I think that's why it didn't sweep more uh, awards. I think it deserved a lot more than it got. Yeah. I mean, it's, I wonder, that's what I was wondering is what the artists feel like. I mean, I know sometimes people feel like they're typecast. And when you're, I guess you're typecast as Han Solo, does right. that bother you? And do you want, do these, do the artists want to get out of this hole? Well, so now you're getting into sort of, uh, you know, talking about how Oscars are awarded, which is a whole kind of different system yeah. of what's valued in Hollywood. Um, and it is sort of a contradiction because on the one hand, Hollywood is making um, all of these, you know, multiplicities. And at the same time, the Oscars are telling us that that's not what we value as a culture. Um, and so there's always there's historically, I think, been a not I don't think, but a lot of other people have, have argued that there, there's a real disconnect between what gets an Oscar and what the American people actually pay money to see every year. Mm. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of a, a, a different story, but um, yeah, I think there are plenty of actors who feel that their work is disrespected because they're not in, you know, spotlight or um, the big short yeah. or, you know, the, these other movies that were, were nominated for best picture. Do you, do you sense that going forward, we're going to have, you know, more of the, the Netflix kind of model um, with these, these kind of independent films, kind of more of the Sundance films that will be available on, uh, on different outlets? So we might create a more diverse type of kind of the big stuff coming from Hollywood that's maybe, I guess, more marketing focused versus mm -hmm. the, the small. Yeah, I do. I think that's probably where, if it's going to happen, that's where it's going to go. It's going to end up on these smaller kind of distribution platforms. So we may not be seeing them in the theaters anymore. Yeah. Um, it may be that getting into a theater means 
that it is going to be one of these kind of big event pictures and that um, other kind of more experimental projects that are a little bit off the beaten path, they're going to appear on, you know, uh, these various platforms that you can access through your computer or television. So, I mean, it's an exciting time to study the media for sure. And I don't, I think some people kind of wring their hands and say, oh, where did all the originality go? But You know, it's really, it, it's okay. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. <laughs> There's still lots of original ideas out there. Yeah. Um, is, for sure. As the author, Amanda, uh, again, the author of Cycles, Sequels, Spinoffs, Remakes, and Reboots, Multiplicities in Film and Television, what, what is, how, what do you see the future as being for us? Like, um, what, what are some of the trends that you see and, and the things that most of us that don't study media and television, um, and film, What's coming down the pike? Well, so uh, unfortunately, I I wish I could see the future. I can't see the future. It'd be awesome if I could. Um, but uh, what I kind of hope is going to happen, and I see sort of inklings of this, is that there's been a lot of pushback. I mean, there's historically been a lot of pushback, but especially lately on the whiteness, um, the male-centeredness of Hollywood. And so... I am starting to to hope that we're going to get a lot more films with um, a more diverse range of characters and stories being told. And it's happening a little bit, um, and I'm hoping that the future will reflect that more. Um, you definitely see it in, like I said, in, in television. You see a lot of experimentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in, you know, sort of more more big-budget TV shows like Empire and Scandal, you know, we're – we're showing that as a society, we want to see casts that aren't just all white. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we're going to see more diversity overall in Hollywood, um, whether that's just going to be, you know, uh, in terms of superheroes, <laughs> we're just going to yeah. have more diverse superheroes. I don't know. Um, but I, I don't think we're going to – Hollywood can't keep doing what it's doing, which is alienating big, big chunks of the American population. I think eventually people are going to turn away from hmm. that. So – well, and that's that's interesting too, right? Because a lot of these like comic books, I mean, I'm, they, a lot of these characters were written thirty years ago. That's uh, right. And so, right. all of a sudden, we have to somehow bridge the lack of diversity of the last forty to fifty years and create mm-hmm. characters today. Who, who? I guess they just eventually get the rights to adjust the characters and make them more diverse. Is that what yep, the authors, maybe... the writers, do? I mean, the executive um... producers. Well, so there's there are some problems with these kind of established story properties because one, like you mentioned, there's you know people own the rights to these characters, and then the other are you know kind of the the old school fans who really get oh, very that's true. furious. The purist, there's, huh? Yeah, right. Yeah, they they just. Uh, there was talk of having a black Spider-Man at one point and all oh, the Internet just lost its mind. So, oh, wow. you know, I, I think we need to kind of get some new characters um, that reflect the changing demographics of, of our country. Um, so and, and I think that's going to happen. You see you see little kind of inklings of, of change in mm. Hollywood. So well, and a I'm lot of female good. characters, too. Right. Because yeah. I'm not sure that there was always a lot of uh, as uh, no. many female, you know, superheroes. <laughs> No, and and if you followed any of the uh, discussion of the Star Wars uh, film that just came out, I mean, people were incredibly upset that there was a female hero. Um, even though this was a new kind of a new story, uh, very upset about that. People were upset that there was a black stormtrooper. So wow. I mean, it's 
it's tough going. You have a lot of people who really want this diversity, and then you have people who are kind of digging their heels in for, um, I'm not really sure why, yeah. <laughs> but it, it upsets them. So, um, but again, the fact that George Lucas or, um, I'm sorry, it wasn't George Lucas, the director of The Force Awakens, you know, went ahead and tried to change up some of the characters, um, I thought that was a positive development. Of course, then, you know, when I went to go buy um, some Star Wars figures for my son, um, I couldn't get a Rey uh, figurine for him, Hmm. um, which I thought was really interesting. I bought him uh, the Millennium Falcon, which is what she's flying throughout the But you couldn't get her. No, she didn't come with it. It came with Chewbacca and it came with Finn. So it did come with the black character. Um, So, you know, there was that. But uh, yeah, the lead, the lead of the film who flew the plane, the pilot yeah, of the plane. The, yeah, the hero. Yeah. Yeah. And my son was upset. He's like, where's Ray? And I was like, <laughs> I'm sorry, honey. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, we're trying to change the entire world, son. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's slow it, going. It, it is it's slow going. And then again, all of the complaints of the lack of um, diversity in the Academy Awards. I mean, I wonder, like you were just saying, it's a co- the, the whole process is is a complicated process, mm-hmm. but it seems like you know, like a sh- like a battleship that's going to take forever to turn. I, mean, I you, agree because you is, have an Academy with ages all the way up to ninety, probably. Yes, and this is. I mean, um, I'm glad that there was so much pushback on the Oscars this year, but ultimately, changing the Oscars isn't what's going to change Hollywood. Hollywood has to change first. Hmm. Um, you can't nominate things that don't exist. And Holly, we just need more. We need more diverse movies. And um, it's been proven that when you make those movies, people go to see them. Yeah, they make money. You know, historically, whenever Hollywood makes films, you know, exclusively just for example for a black audience, um, it's a huge boon to Hollywood. Um, it's it's uh, you know, black exploitation in the 1970s is what saved. Um, the major studios from huh. economic collapse. Um, so, I mean, this is a strategy that Hollywood uses, you know, when it's sort of in um, dire straits. So uh, if Hollywood just keeps making movies for these underserved audiences, um, you know, I, I think it will eventually show yeah. itself to be economically sound. And underserved too, meaning uh, more female focused yeah. female, which which would also then you know get the big complaint we hear a lot from actors and actresses about there's not strong female roles, right? Better roles for women, and then I guess too women might bring their husbands and boyfriends to these movies as well, and it Absolutely. might change all of us. Yeah, um, there's an old saying that used to really, well, I guess it still structures Hollywood, which is, um, it's called the Peter Pan effect, which is that uh, young young children will go to see anything older children will see, and girls will go to see anything boys will see. So the market that you want is older boys, hmm. and that, that apparently cuts through every demographic. That is not true. Yeah, that doesn't seem all. true. Yeah. Um, but that is that's been the ruling belief. So Hollywood has traditionally been made for white male, um, young male audiences. And, you know, if you look at what's out there, um, that shouldn't be surprising. to Yeah, you. there it is. Isn't yeah. that that's just a philosophy. And it's we've probably outgrown it. We've changed it. I think we we've, have. we've diversified it. Yes. Thank we're heavens. a different country now than we were in the 50s. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. The last thing we need is more like, I don't know, saved by the bell. Maybe that right. was Although for that was boys a great and girls. Show. Yeah, it was a great show. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I loved that. Well, that's I loved it too. this. This is interesting, Amanda. T- as we wrap it up, what uh, what else? What else do we need to know when we 
when we sit there and to, to, I guess to be a good also connoisseur of um, television, of movies, of film, I guess can I, I can appreciate the new Cinderella and mm-hmm. let go of the old one, right? This yes. is good. Is there anything I'm, that would make it easier for me to to appreciate it and just get into it? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say that I went to see The Force Awakens. I am, you know, a child of the late 70s. So I was an original Star Wars fan. I did not like the first kind of three prequels that he made yeah. uh, back in the 90s and 2000s. I was very uh, unhappy with the quality. So I went into The Force Awakens with very low expectations and seeing it with my six-year-old son and kind of the way he reacted to it. And then the way I reacted to it in a very nostalgic way, um, I found it to be a really delightful experience. Was it the best movie I saw all year? Of course it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was, it was really enjoyable. We had a lovely day at, at the movies, my son. um, It was great to share that story with him. So yeah, um, I don't think people should, um, should wring their hands in despair. There's hope. <laughs> Over these films, yeah. 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 Well, we appreciate you. Dr. Amanda Klein, again, from um, East uh, Carolina University, an author of the book Cycles, Sequels, Spinoffs, Remakes, and Reboots, Multiplicities in Film and Television. Thank you so much, Amanda, for being here. Thanks for having me. Truly important stuff. Uh, I think, folks, all of us, I mean, creativity's there, but there's also this money factor, and we've got to sort through it. We'll take a break. Uh, Come right back. Continue the discussion right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Yeah, you know, movies. I'm just going to watch what they send out there. Why worry about it? I mean, I'm not like the kind of guy that's going to go watch a trailer for a movie that'll come out in six months mm. and then in two months order my seats. Mm. You know, that and sounds then like in fun. Two more months, watch the trailer fifty-five more times. Well, you don't want to miss anything. Well, it's the same trailer. There's like little elements, little pieces of the story that are hidden within each frame of that little trailer. Is the operative word? I listen to a podcast. Yes. Just the other day. They released the trailer for um, uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story, mm-hmm. right? It's it's a kind of a prequel yeah. to the first Star Wars movie. Okay. Well, they released that. Well, I listened to this podcast. They they broke down the trailer for an hour and 15 minutes. Why? It's a minute 30 seconds, is, I think is what the trailer is. It's 90 <sighs> seconds. They talked about it for an hour and 15 minutes, and it was awesome. See, that's where I think we're losing people. Why? Because you took a one-and-a-half-minute trailer. Yes. And then they talked about it for an hour and 15 minutes, Mm. and you listened. I mowed my lawn. To what they were talking about. Yeah. It was great. Was it? It was great. I I enjoyed it. What was your big takeaway? My big takeaway is that this movie is going to be awesome. Holy cow! They're just talking about different awesomeness. aspects. How does how does this work into the main line, main story? Because it's kind of a just a, a brief a brief offshoot from the main Star Wars story that we've all followed. Mm-hmm. And so they're t- trying to figure out where this all fits into these people 
do they come up later on in the Star Wars uh, movies that we're, we're just getting now? Or are, is this a one-shot? This Everybody that's within this story, you get this one story and then they're gone? But That kind of thing? Do you use them later on? How does that work? It's just speculation. Wouldn't you, rather, wouldn't you rather, I don't know, read a book? I do that too. You can have it all, Matt. <laughs> I feel like I do. It's, and mine just doesn't ever involve but you, you a can trailer. But inc- you can include more and have a richer experience. Hmm. I don't know. You don't think so? Yeah, sure. I mean, it, to each his own. <laughs> right? I mean, sure. If you want to ruin your life that way. How am I ruining my life? You're, almost, you're lucky you didn't lose a toe. When you're mowing the lawn, caught up in the Look, you excitement know, you know, of the trailer. There's a sticker on the lawnmower that says, don't stick your foot under here. Yeah. But I when, usually follow that. I've been mowing lawns for a long time. My father. Famous last words right there. My father delegated mowing lawns to me at an early age. Did he? He's like, do this. I don't want to do it anymore. Okay. Okay. Let me just tell you. Can, let me just tell you. There's a story that came out of um, Festus, Missouri. Festus, Missouri? Yeah. Interesting name. Yeah. Festus. And this is this is what happens to people that are too into comic book games, videos, stuff okay. like that. Okay. Uh-huh. Dolls. Dolls. They're a called burglar. action figures, thank you. Sorry. Well, not yeah. this one. Oh. Uh, a burglar at a Missouri comic book shop took the time to steal a Kiss action fig- figure. Okay. Like the band. Yeah, the band Kiss. Okay. But neglected to double check that he hadn't left his cell phone on the scene. So it's always the details. I know it's always in the details. Jason Hughes and Brandon Williams, they're the owners of All the Rage Comics and Games in Festus, Missouri, said the burglar broke in through the business's back door early in the morning, made off with a laptop, a cash register, thirty-five bucks in cash, and two Kiss action figures hmm. and some Pokemon cards. Oh, Pokemon! However. The thief left behind a pair of clues, a pack of cigarettes, mm. and his cell phone. Whoops. Yeah. See, if, if, these, if these people and if your people. Mm. My people. You're just lumping me in with the common criminal. The common criminal that, that robs a comic book store to get mm. two Kiss action figures. He left probably a lot of good stuff on the shelves, but okay. <laughs> so we got some action figures. When, uh, so the police are now investigating and, you know, the cell phone, by the way, rang. It lit up because it was face up. And when it stopped ringing, it went to the lock screen. So now they're trying to get the FBI to open the phone. Of course. That's how it works. We're mixing stories up here. So um, anyway. The, the, the better end of that story would have been if they answered the phone. He's like, uh, yeah, I've lost my phone. Yeah. Have uh, you found it? <laughs> yeah. You're headed to jail, dude. We know who you are. We're on our way. Yeah. They – you, you leave your cell phone, they can. They have all your contacts, Yeah. they can track the GPS, they can figure these things out once they get through your password, if you have one. That's why I have three. You have three passwords. Uh-huh, and I wow. can't remember which one's where. That's why we have passwords, which you forget. I try three passwords everywhere I go. Crazy, crazy time. So um, I guess in the end, what we've learned is you got to be careful if you're obsessed with social media not social media just uh what do we call this pop culture hmm. especially if you're obsessed with the marvel comics i don't the think DC this really comics. has anything to do with the story i think we just had a no that's a lot it's very close to a that. criminal not necessarily the brightest of the bunch that uh, made a mistake he could have robbed a starbucks he could have been there 
Who knows? He could have. And he, they make more money, I'm sure, than the comic book store. Maybe. And instead, he chose one of your type. Wow. Chose. I feel marginalized. <laughs> to get in there and steal two <laughs> Kiss action figures. What would you have stolen, Ben? At a comic book store? Uh huh. Mm, comic books. Yeah, probably. <laughs> What's your favorite comic book, Ben? Um, Calvin and Hobbes. See, he doesn't have one. Oh, boy. Really? So yeah. Calvin and Hobbes, make a movie about that. Nah. That's fantastic. Good reading. Bill Watterson actually won't let them yeah. do that. Yeah, he's he's a little, little. He's a smart guy. Possessive of his creativity. Well, they'd probably ruin it. That's usually what happens, yeah. but see what happens. Yeah. Maybe someday. Hey, by the way, again, we haven't mentioned it nearly enough. Happy Hug a Plumber Day. Hug a Plumber Day. You know what? Plumbers don't get hugged as much. I've almost hugged a plumber. Have you? Yeah. <laughs> when there's like a, a major issue, yeah. you call someone oh, to come yeah. fix an issue. You and, saved me. Yeah. Thank you, Larry. You're really close, except it's, you know, invading personal space. You really don't know this yeah. person. I think I think a better day than hug a plumber mm. is get a plumber some suspenders day. <laughs> Cinch a plumber's suspenders up. Right. I just think... There are that, certain issues in life that need to be fixed. I think it would help their image. Yeah. I really do. I think it would also increase the number of hugs they get. I'm just saying. It's very true. Not to not to diss on plumbers. They do a great job. They do a great job. <laughs> they do a fantastic job. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, but when we come back, Kim Giles will be joining us. We will be getting into uh, parenting with love, not control and force. How do you get your your children to kind of move and do what needs to be done without using force and fear and aggression. We're going to we're going to learn that so we don't use force and fear and aggression with Ben anymore. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Now get to work. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Stick with us. We're talking parenting next on the Matt Townsend show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hour number three of fun and excitement. Joy for everyone. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information, what you need to know to live a healthier, happier life. That's the goal here. Give you info you need. If you are a parent and you want to figure out a way to parent with love and not control and force, um, you know, today's the day. Kim Giles will be joining us in just a few moments. She's from Clarity Point Coaching and uh, is a great coach that will walk us through some tools for that, which we need because I feel, uh, you know, for years, year. We have been parenting our board operator with too much fear and not enough love. There have been some more veiled threats. I wouldn't say they're just, you know, blatant threats. I've right. never been more scared in my life. Quiet. We're not even talking to you yet. Sorry. <laughs> what were you saying, Terry? You just sort of snapped there. What's going on? Oh, that's a good time. Good fun. <laughs> fun for everybody but poor little Ben. You're so oppressed. If Bass, the uh, truck driver, is listening. Bass, where are you, man? 
This is the time we need you. So we're doing this for Bass because last week, one of our favorite truck drivers, Bass, was driving uh, the Idaho route. I don't know. I don't know what route it was, but it was in Idaho. It's Idaho Falls to Salt Lake City. Idaho Falls to Salt Lake City. It's called I-15. And Bass called in and he's like – because we had asked, are we being too rough on our cute little cub? And Bass called in and said, well, I wouldn't say rough. Yeah. But – I mean, he's like Ben. I mean, Ben's got issues. He's a he's a soft minded millennial. Ben and, or Bass? Uh, ben. Bass is a well adjusted human being. Bass was fantastic. Yeah, Bass is. He's going to put up his sign that says "Truckers for Ben." Yeah, to do what he can to to try to help strengthen Ben in his time yeah. of need. Plus, he's so. named after a fish. Right. I mean, who gets away with that? Right. Right. These are these are all facts. Right. Well, remember that. Remember that Ben brought a friend over named Perch once. He did? Yeah. It's kind of weird. Kind of weird brown. It's actually a bird. Kind of a bottom feeder. Yeah. <laughs> ben. Anyway, Ben, we're trying harder. Uh, so I, I will listen to Kim, see if I can get some parenting tips for how to treat you with more love, less fear. Uh, so we'll get to that in just a few minutes. But before we do that, let's get to the headlines with Terry South and find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Terry? Thanks, Matt. Presidential hopeful Donald Trump holds an 18-point lead over Ted Cruz among likely Republican voters in Pennsylvania. An NBC Wall Street Journal poll out Sunday shows Trump has 45% support to Cruz's 27%. John Kasich, 24%. On the Democratic side, Hillary Clinton leads Bernie Sanders 55% to 40%. Pennsylvania voters head to the polls Tuesday along with those in Connecticut, Delaware, Maryland, and Rhode Island. Bernie Sanders said on Saturday during a taping of Meet the Press that he lost some of the past primary contests to Hillary Clinton because, quote, poor people don't vote. He goes, I mean, it's just a fact. That's just a sad reality of American society, Sanders said as he asked why Clinton had beaten him in 16 of the last 17 states so far and the highest levels of income uh, with the highest levels of income inequality. He said that one weakness of his voter turnout operation was getting lower income people to the polls. He's taken some yeah. flack over the weekend from those comments, as you can imagine. Yeah. Poor people don't vote. Well, he's also got the youth vote and, uh, you know, A lot of them they're just poor. not turning out for yeah. him. Yeah, they, they, they come out to the rallies mm-hmm. and the parties but they don't go to the poll well then a couple days later honestly who does that sound like exactly um, ben, millennial ben ben wasden i went to the polls turns out to the parties never to the polls there you go i, I went to the caucus oh, what, wow. you, what yeah. are you talking about the utah caucus he went oh, you, to a caucus yeah it's interesting the caucus he's, isn't even running he's dedicated what are do these do? new headphones not working yeah, no. <laughs> Donald Trump was quick to dismiss Senator Ted Cruz and Ohio Governor John Kasich's plan to unite against him to ensure he doesn't win the nomination as a, quote, horrible act of desperation. It is sad that two grown politicians have to collude against one person who has only been a politician for 10 months in order to try and stop that person from getting the Republican nomination. Point well made. (laughs) Thanks. That's, I mean... That's true. That's true. I've been doing this for 10 months. You guys have been doing this for how long? And if they were going to do this, they just should have done it earlier. Yeah, that's really what this is. This comes is down an to. act of desperation, it appears. The collusion, Trump says, is yet another example of Washington's corruption that just makes him all the more determined to win for the good of the Republican Party and our country. Okay. So. I mean, Donald's never colluded. Of course not. 
Just not in this situation. Interesting. He's just pointing at the other guys. Yeah. The city of Cleveland has settled a federal lawsuit brought by the family of Tamir Rice for $6 million. It was announced this morning. Rice, 12, was shot dead by a police officer in 2014 within seconds of responding to a, uh, to a report of a male threatening people in a park with a gun. Rice was, in fact, holding an airsoft gun. It's kind of a pellet gun type. Yeah. type uh, they call it a toy, but it's it's still a gun. It's like a BB gun. It could take an eye out. Um, prosecutors denied the charge that Officer Tim- Timothy Loman they ch- deny declined to charge the officer involved in the shooting for Tamir Rice's death. Uh, Prince's albums, The Very Best of Prince and Purple Rain, topped Billboard's 200 albums charts almost immediately following the rock R&B legend's ultimate untimely death at age 57. The Purple as they call him, the purple one, passed away Thursday. The final days of that week's album sales tracking, fans purchased enough of his music in just a day and a half that the aforementioned records qualified for the two highest-selling albums of the week. According to Billboard, the hmm. late, late singer's massive uh, sales come not just as a reflection of his popularity, but also of his music's limited availability for streaming online. Yeah, the I guess it's hard to get. He's held tight ropes. You can purchase it on, I believe, Apple Music, but all the streaming services, uh, if you find something that's of what he's done, it's from some cover band that's published their work. Why does a man have to die in order to have this incredible boost to his yeah. uh, music? Everyone, it's, all of a sudden he's popular after he died. I would be so, I would come back mm. and haunt people. Would you? Mm-hmm. Because now you're buying my my music? Come on. What do I have to do? What does a guy got to do to be seen in this world? Hey, um, it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, day. I am loving the um, uh, well. Let's, let me put that differently. NBA champion or the NBA? What are they calling them? Finals? They're not the finals. The NBA series. The, okay. I mean, I, I watched the three playoffs? games last night. You won the first. You watched some of the first round of the NBA playoffs. Yeah, playoffs. That's there what I'm looking for. And every game seemed very similar in a way. How so? A bunch of really rich people yeah. uh, running around, kind of back and forth most of the game, mm. gets close to the end, then they seem to all start playing. Mm. So like an all-star game. A lot like an all-star game. Interesting. I mean, they play hard the whole time, but it's really, these games are so close. And is it really that close or is it, what's really going on? You think the fix is in? I think there's a fix. You're calling the fix? Uh-huh. Someone's back there pulling the strings and, and deciding outcomes? And Well, no. I just think they all relax for three quarters. Hmm. I mean, they play. Yeah. They try hard in the first quarter, relax, relax, try hard in the third, fourth quarter. Hmm. But my man, Steph Curry, he hurt his knee. Sad. We'll have an update later today, apparently. Okay. Find out what the extent of the problem is. Did you see? Yeah, you I, know saw, why? I saw him slip and fall. Sweat on the floor, I'll bet. Probably. You know what I mean? It's, it's from it, that astronaut. It's Houston. It's Houston. It's a it's a humid place. We talked about the astronaut from, I think, uh, the UK that's that ran a marathon. You did? In the space station, tethered to a treadmill. And you asked what happens to all the perspiration. That's it. Maybe Flop. it falls on Houston. It falls to ground. Like, you know, rain from heaven. <laughs> And it landed in Houston. We have a problem. There yeah. you go. Your floor is slippery. I, I think you solved it. I solved it. They need to pay <sighs> the ball boys better to get out there and uh, mop the floors. Yeah, totally. That's what this comes down to. Exactly. Hey, by the way, um, 
I had a weird uh, experience. I got to go visit with some um, airmen that had returned from uh, – they're, they're active service airmen that uh, went abroad, fought for our country and then came back. And now that they're back, I went and did a, a workshop to help them figure out how to reincorporate their lives and get their families back together. Hmm. It was pretty cool. And I realized that most of us don't have any clue how many others are sacrificing for this country. And we sit here and we complain about whatever. And yet, have you ever lived abroad for six months for your country? No. No. So a little just heads up to all of us. Get ready to thank the people. If you see, a, if you see anyone in uniform, I, let's just say, I guess one of our armed uh, – our, our uh, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines – if you see anybody, Coast Guard, that is serving this country, police, fire, man, thank people. They're giving their time, their energy, their lives, their marriages. These marriages take a real hit when your partner leaves. My wife loved it when I would leave for trips. I don't understand. Hmm. It was more – I was a speaker, right? So right. I probably wasn't going to get hurt. You were gone for a few days and you'd mm-hmm. come back. Gone for like three days. So and, she gets a break. Yeah, and she loved it. But these people lost their spouse for months. Hmm. And then sometimes they don't come back healthy. Anyway, so shout out to anybody that is serving the country because that to me, I mean, again, I've never done it. I've never I've never risked losing my life for my country. So those that are willing to, thank you. Um, speaking of losing their lives, uh, Ben, <laughs> when are you going to bring in my ice cream? I have been ordering ice cream for how long? I've been. Oh, it feels see, like forever. He always is like, pitch my ice cream, pitch my ice cream. Yeah, it just goes on and on and on. And he never brings any in. So how do you pitch something you haven't tasted since right. the last health risk? <laughs> the thing is, everybody else I make ice cream for pays for it. And so, like, I have a responsibility to my customers. I believe you're getting advertising dollars yeah. by just mentioning it on the show. Totally. Uh, but the thing is I can't ship ice cream to New York or to the East Coast. So now you're criticizing the quality of free advertising you've been getting. Just, no. Don't worry about it. just sounded like to me. Just start here. You can bring it in. Just bring it in. Hand it yeah. over the just hand it over the console right there. What kind of ice cream do you want? Well, I, I don't know. I've come up with so many other good ideas. Um, I'd like something with a mint in it. The mint, okay. Like a like a, um, like a toothpaste, like a mint chocolate okay. chip. I, I have some extra toothpaste. Okay, toothpaste. No, 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 no. Is, is it okay if there's like baking soda in it as well? Ooh. Little flavor crystals. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, we are making this in the bathtub. <laughs> While you're at it, why don't you put some pert? Ooh, <laughs> shampoo and conditioner. <laughs> You know what? Never mind. <laughs> Don't even worry about it. I was trying to give you a chance. No, I'm I'm something uh, with no, mint in it. No, okay. no, it's too late. <laughs> Terry, what else do we have to worry about? So there's a story here. Russia has at last drafted some dolphins into its navy and still refuses to tell anybody as to why. Like Miami dolphins? <laughs> Apparently not. Like dolphin dolphins. That not, was the worst not, dolphin I've ever heard. That dolphin's sick. A tender for the Ministry of Defense this week shows Russia dropped a total of $26,000 for five bottlenose dolphins about a month after announcing a search for marine mammals with perfect teeth and motor activity. (laughs) The report says Moscow's uh, 
Dolphinarium, as they have it, will supply three male and two female dolphins with all teeth intact and no mucus from the blowhole by August 1st. This okay. reported by NBC News, so it's not my fault. So when you order a dolphin, I'm just trying to get this okay, straight. Okay, go ahead. you got to yeah. get teeth intact. Yes. And no mucus from the blowhole. That's what it says. And motor and quality motor activity. Mm-hmm. If history is any guide, the... Uh, the dolphin will likely be used for aquatic investigations and rescues, something the Soviet Union did during the Cold War. But there's also the chance they could be used as killers. What? Retired Colonel Victor uh, uh, Barantis, who worked with military dolphins during the Cold War, told The Guardian last month the dolphins were trained to plant explosive devices on enemy ships. <laughs> Whatever their intended use, Russia has been stepping up its hunt for flippers anyways. When Russia annexed Crimea in 2014, it also claimed dolphins that have been trained in the city uh, since ni- the 1960s, again without explanation. But the, do- the defense ministry denied reports in state-run media that the dolphins were being trained to uh, to kill. This according to the Washington Post. The U.S. Navy has run its own dolphin training program since the Cold War, but claims it has no intention of using them for warfare. The Navy warns on its website for tr- the training program, since dolphins cannot discern the difference between enemy and friendly vessels or enemy and friendly divers and swimmers, <laughs> it would not be wise to give that kind of decision authority to an animal. No. The animals are trained to de- detect, locate, and mark all mines or all swimmers in the area of interest or concern and are not trained to distinguish between what we would refer to as good or bad. So Russia wow. ha- Russia has dolphins for an unexplained reason. They have good teeth. There's no mucus from the blowhole. Yeah, yeah. And they have good motor activity. Great motor activity. So there you go. There's, these are the key elements of this story. By the way, um, will you write those down? Because when we do get a new board operator, I would like him to meet that same criteria. You want that on the job description that we uh-huh. post? Because our teeth. last, our current board operator. Okay, I have a little bit of mucus. I'm Lots sorry. of mucus. He's got a lot of mucus. But my teeth And a blowhole that is huge. <laughs> what? My teeth are perfect. Well, yeah, your new teeth. Not sure. to be rude. Um, it actually, it's a Brian Reagan it's a Brian Regan comedian act. You've got to go find it for me, Terry. Flipper is the name of Brian Regan's good dolphin. And then there's a bad dolphin. We've got to, we've got to figure this out. Because uh, this whole Russian thing, it's too close to a Brian Regan comedy act. Hmm. Maybe he's a Russian spy. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. Uh, we're going to have to run that by the guys at BYU Sports Nation, find out if they trust this or not, and also find out if they meet the criteria of straight teeth, no mucus in the blowhole, and also quality motor activity. We'll find out in a bit. But first, Kim Giles, she's up next. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, if you've got children, you know sometimes um, you might slack off in the parenting of those children and actually, I don't know, use less healthy methods or means to get um, to get them to do what you want. I think this will be good for you, Matt. Thank you, son. Okay? Turn your mic off. Wow. Uh, we, uh, we're, we're, we're going to learn. 
from our good friend Kim Giles. Kim is a uh, is the president and founder of Clarity Point Coaching, popular life coach, author, and speaker, named one of the top twenty advice gurus in the country by Good Morning America, and also um, is a regular here on the show and a regular. Uh, writer and author, um, and uh, you can find all of her writings on her website, claritypointcoaching.com. Kim Giles, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? Thanks, Matt. I'm doing great. Excited you, to be here and talk about parenting teenagers. You need, you need to help us because we, we sometimes, we want to do it with love, but sometimes when we parent these beautiful uh, young adults, we, um, we sometimes end up using coercion and control. And force. We do. And we do that because our teenagers trigger our fears more than anybody else on the planet. Mm. And when we when our fears get triggered, we behave badly. So really quick, I just want to explain to the listeners what those the two core fears are that your teenager triggers you so bet. easily on a daily basis. The first is your fear of failure. And the bottom line is anytime that, that they're behaving in a way that's not what you want, you're, you feel like you're feeling as a parent that you also look bad. Yeah. Which is really So painful, true. Yeah. Right? Right. You're going to look bad. People are going to judge you. And so when that fear gets triggered, we tend to behave in a really selfish way because our real focus is on protecting ourselves and making sure we don't look bad. And our other core fear is the fear of loss. And, of course, our children are our most, you know, the most precious thing in our life. We don't want to lose them, but their bad choices could mean losing them. And so they trigger both those fears really bad. So, Kim, you're saying that the reason I get mad at my son for um, doing something stupid in his car when his friends are in there and let's say they crashed is the reason I'm angry is not because he's he's nuts and he doesn't pay attention. It's because I'm afraid that we'll look I will look bad or that I may lose him. Or you'll lose money. Yeah. It's costing you money. I'm losing that's something. No, but that's you're, you're true. losing something. Yeah. No, totally. So, yeah, you're mad because he was stupid, but really it's because his stupidity is going to reflect on your value as a parent, make you look bad, and make you lose money that you really are angry. Right. And, and when you respond in anger like that, and it, it's all about you, and you need to say what you need to say to feel better. And what's not coming into the picture is what the child needs and what might actually benefit him to make his behavior better in the future. We're not thinking that clearly. We're just thinking about protecting ourselves. Right. So that's, that's the first problem. There's two other problems that are kind of in play as, as our kids get to be teenagers, that they're naturally supposed to be breaking away from us and wanting more freedom in their life. And, and this is natural and good. We, we want them to go through this stage where they start wanting freedom because that means eventually they might leave right. and, and be adults. And we want that. The problem is that they don't want to be forced or controlled at all. And if we, because of our fear, force and control too much, of course they're going to rebel even more and we're going to have power struggles. We also create then an unsafe space where you're kind of the enemy. Right. You're always in a power struggle. 
And because you're the enemy, they're not going to go to you. And we kind of push them towards their peers for help and advice on life. And that's not where we want them going for help. Yeah, this will drive them away, right? So, I mean, it's it's counterproductive. Absolutely. It feels right, right? I mean, it, it actually doesn't even feel right if you think about it. But it feels it's natural. It's your natural response to what's going on is to get mad and maybe coerce or force. But in the end, you're saying that will drive them away. That will. Now, the problem is, yeah, you've got this teen who wants freedom. The problem is they really lack judgment, knowledge, foresight at that age. And and the other problem in play is that in their little teenage head, they think that they're as smart as you. Mm-hmm. They honestly see themselves as an adult or becoming an adult and that they know as much as you do. And it's really easy to insult their intelligence when we treat them like they're they're beneath us or younger and dumber than us. They, they literally get insulted, which again makes us an unsafe place and creates kind of that enemy feeling that will not leave you in a space where you have influence over them. Man, yeah. We... Yeah. So there's like 10 ways to make them our enemy. <laughs> there are, But there are ways to change this, too. I just want to kind of define the problem yeah. so our listeners understand what we're up against. We, but that's important because I, I'm driving them away by all of these other ways that I'm trying to help them. Like giving them advice may in a way, though, that they, they feel like they're being you know disrespected because like I don't get that, Dad. Um, that'll, right. that'll push them away. We're, we may be pushing them away when we're trying to bring them closer. Right. Now, you can still give them advice, yeah. counsel, but you got to do it the right way so that you don't insult them and, and drive that wedge in the relationship. Well, so one of the things I teach my parents' clients to do is, is think through if you had a, an adult, a friend living in your home, and you wanted to give that person some advice, Think about how respectfully you might handle that. You would probably ask them first if they would be open to some advice on, on what True. they're doing. And, and give them the chance, you know, to, to accept that and be open to it or not. And just the fact that you ask so much respect for that person. And you will find the more respect you show your teen, the more respect you will get back. Hmm. And often as a parent, we feel like it's, it's okay, we can disrespect them all day long because we're the parent, but they should respect us back. And it, it just doesn't work that way. You have to earn respect. And we partly earn respect by behaving in a mature and respectful way. And when we don't do that, when we're immature, when we're, we're coming from control and fear and force, your child literally loses respect for you. Yeah. That's I mean, and by you asking, that's a great way to kind of see your child. Is how would you do this with someone else's child that you know is living with you? You'd be you'd be careful. You'd be more respectful. You'd you'd know you need to earn it instead of just assume you have it. Right. That's cool. So a couple other tips, and I've got so many. I'm sure we're going to have to have a break. In yeah. Between in fact, let's do a break now, Kim. Say. Let's do it now, and then we'll come back and just start hammering. Uh, hammering is a sad word for it. Uh, and we'll just start sharing gently sharing our tips. many, many tips at, uh, at, that can help us create a more loving relationship with our teens instead of, you know, a fear-induced one. Stick with us, folks. We're learning how to parent and, uh, and have, you know, do some of the hard stuff that, that's not so easy when it comes to dealing with our teenagers, giving advice and letting the love out as well. Stick with us. We'll be right back. 
back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us, Kim Giles from ClarityPointCoaching.com, a great resource for you and uh, all of your needs, you know, with life and relationships, how to overcome your fears, great stuff. And uh, Kim is here today teaching us about parenting, how we can parent with more love instead of using force and control to get results. Let's see if we can't find a more loving approach. Kim, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Matt. And you've already taught us one tool is make sure that we're not letting our fears get in the way. Our fear of that we're going to look bad because of what our children are doing, our fear of loss, our fear of you know what they're going to make us look like. And instead, get into them and recognize that they're just looking for freedom and they need to be respected. They think they're more equal than maybe they are. But uh, as far as, I guess, knowledge, they're equal in every way, but they may not quite be as informed as some parents. Yeah, but they think they are. Yeah, they think they are, totally. The tricky part. So um, you mentioned how the, the teens trigger our fears. And so one of the best things you can do as a parent is to work on some of your own fear issues. And at Clarity Point, we do a lot of work on this, on, on getting the fear of failure under control so that you're not so driven by your fears of not being good enough all the time. And I've got lots of resources on my website on how to get control of that fear of failure so that you're not as worried about what people think of you. And you're more bulletproof. You understand that your child's choices actually don't diminish your value as a human being. They, they only diminish you if you see it that way, but you have the power to not see it that way. So if this is an issue for you, this is one you really need to work on. And, and the fear of loss, also, we have a, a kind of unique way to deal with that. We encourage our clients to look at life as a classroom. And if life is a classroom, then every experience that comes your way is a lesson, and every experience with your teen is no exception to that. So I really believe that we're teachers to our children, but I also believe that they're here to teach you. Mm. And if you will look at every problem that shows up with your teenager as your lesson to become wiser and smarter and more loving and, and behave better and more maturely, and you'll really start looking at your own personal development, not just trying to raise this teen to behave well, but also work on you, that alone it's going to change your parenting in a really profound way. Mm, yeah, totally. That is. We're here to learn, and we're learning together. We're just a little. We're just a little older in the classroom. Yeah, we just got here a little sooner, but yeah. boy, we're still in the classroom with us, totally. with them. And and as you do that, you're also able to kind of have your fears quieter, and now focus more on what your child really needs. And I think so often we're, we're so worried about our, our loss and how it's going to affect us that we're not really stepping back. We're not asking enough questions about what's going on with them so that we can figure out what they need to create the life that they want to have. Right. And just focusing a little bit more on their needs would make you a, a much better and happier parent. Oh, yeah. Because you'll be getting to what really needs to happen there. Well, and they'll also sense that... You care because you've taken the time to find out what they need. You know what yeah. I mean? They'll sense that you've been into them before this conversation, and they'll also sense that it's not about you looking dumb. It's about you caring about them. And honestly, if I'm going to give you one tip today that's the most important thing you could do with your teen, yeah. 
make sure you're doing more listening than talking. Huge. I promise you, if you spend more of your time asking questions and understanding your teen and what they think and how they see the world, you're going to learn things you really needed to know as a parent. And when you're doing all the talking, you know nothing. Yeah. You don't really know what's happening. But, Kim, what do you do when you have a teen that doesn't talk? But okay. you, but there's an issue, and we're like, hello, talk. Yeah. Chances are pretty good you haven't created a safe enough space for them to talk. So they're not talking because in the past you probably haven't listened. You've probably lectured, and and you, you maybe haven't been able to handle what they really have to say in, in a mature and helpful way. I remember I have a son that had some issues with drug abuse, and I was really disturbed by the fact that I would ask him, you know, is this happening, and he would lie to me. Mm. And I said to the therapist, you know, I, I need him to tell me the truth. And he looked at me and said, can you handle the truth? You can't handle the truth. Yeah, <laughs> that's huge. And I realized you're right. I, I can't expect him to be honest and talk to me unless I can handle the truth. So if you have trouble handling the truth, you need to work on your own fear issues. Get with a coach and counselor and, and do some work on you here so that you can actually be of help. Because if you're, you react, so badly to the truth, then, yeah, they're not going to talk to you. No, that's big. I also think a lot of us need to go to our teen and apologize for the fact that we've been terrible listeners in the past and ask them to give us another chance, and then you better keep your mouth shut and really listen this time to prove to them that they can trust you. Yeah. And, and you may have to do that in little bits here and there for weeks and weeks to earn their trust back. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's where you, because and you can't. I think we as parents just assume that they trust us and that they should. Because hello, uh, I brought you to this earth. <laughs> so, but you can't. It's not like you can just you know demand trust and respect. It does. It takes time to earn it. I like the idea of apologizing too, because I could see my kids would be like, "What are you apologizing for?" Uh, we, I, don't, I don't even talk to you. What are you talking about? Um, but I think it would be helpful to to just say, look, I want to hear you more. I want to understand more where you're coming from before I start just inserting myself. Most kids would like that. Yeah, and, and I will tell you, the other time that I can get my kids to really talk to me is if I take them out to eat. Oh, yeah. They're, they're always up to go out to eat, and that's a time sitting over dinner that often I can get them to open up and talk to me so that you might try that. Um, but you said, Matt, you know, we've, we want them to respect us. In order to get that, we also have to be respectable. Right. And, and what I mean is you've got to have your act together. So if you're parenting from a place of a lot of insecurities that cause you to overreact emotionally and, and actually behave kind of immaturely at times, I will tell you, your teen doesn't respect you. And if you're not happy... And, and modeling really healthy adult behavior and confident and doing well in life, your teen doesn't respect you quite at that level. And, and, and if that's where you are, that's okay, but get some help. This, this is something you can constantly be working on, and just having your, your children see you working to improve and grow and make efforts in that area will cause them to respect you because that's a really mature, wise, kind of behavior, mm. 
And, and so I really do recommend your own personal development is an important thing you can do to improve your relationship with your teen. And it's not done. I mean, this isn't a teen thing either, right? Because these same skills will help when they're young adults out in the college, when they're married adults, when they're bringing their grandkids over, when you're helping raise the grandkids. I mean, these skills are forever. Yeah. And besides that, you're going to be happier yeah. and have a better life the more you're working on that. That's right. And have less fear, fewer fears. Kim Giles is her name, folks. Go to her website, claritypointcoaching.com. Great resources, tools there, and you can get information about her books, her, her programs. Um, really appreciate it. Kim Giles, thank you so much. We are going to now uh, take a break. When we come up or come back, folks, guess what? Our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. We'll find out what's going to be on their show at the top of the hour. And I'm going to ask them about the dolphins. Those Russian dolphins, are they killers or are they just friends, helpful little helpers? I don't know. We'll find out. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, sports fans of America. We will now be tossing it down to our good buddies uh, at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. I believe, Jerem, are you there, my friend? What's up? How are you, brother? And Spencer made it, too. That was the music of Spencer running to the desk late. (laughs) It's always in slow motion. I always tell me. (laughs) You're like... Dude, pick it up. Pick it up. Hey, guys, I have got so much to talk to you about. Let's go. And I need your help, okay? One thing that we talked about on the show earlier today, and I need your intellect to help me sort it out. Um, Okay, I'm trying to decide the best way to begin this. The Ministry of Defense of Russia, okay, has now dropped about $26,000 to buy five bottlenose dolphins... Um, and I really like where this is going. Do you like it? Okay, good. I need your help because I, I want to get I want to give my listeners the best opportunity to prepare. Um, the question is: Is are these dolphins? We don't know how they're going to be used. So Moscow's uh, Moscow that Moscow's Ultrish Dolphinarium is supplying three males, two female dolphins. With this is important. This is the criteria. All teeth intact, no mucus in the blowholes, and perfect uh, and, and strong motor activity. Okay, first of all, okay. do you guys trust this? Um, do you trust this? And here's why I bring it up, because there is a, there's, a, there's a comedian named Brian Reagan, who, Reagan, Reagan, Brian Reagan, Reagan, yeah. Brian Reagan who, um, who basically talks about this this kind of dual nature of the dolphin. They can be used for good reasons and good things like they have in the past, you know, saving, um, you know, people during the war that were had fallen from ships and, and you know, seeking out mines and things. Um, he, and there's also negative, da- ugly things that these dolphins can be trained to do, like actually placing bombs and doing other things. So um, Brian Regan calls it flipper and zipper. Zipper is the bad one. I just want to give you a taste of it, and then I need your ideas. Is is this a good idea? Do we trust Russia on this? Brian Regan and Flipper. Flipper, he was he was something. Always saving people. 
Every show he'd go save some more. I save some people. <laughs> for that they would throw him a dead fish. Hey, thanks. Thanks for saving people. Okay, so 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 Flipper saves people, but he, Flipper also this is a di- this is a, a distinct difference about Flipper. He can also do the backwards dance. He was always doing that backwards dance, three quarters out of the water. <laughs> Man, that was cool. Imagine if you could do that. That impressed some people at the public pool, you know. Just go, hey, how y'all doing? <laughs> Just skip across the top of the pool without getting your bathing suit wet and hop up on the other side. Hey, what's happening? <laughs> I could see both of you doing that. So that's Flipper. He's so good. That's Flipper. But there's there's also this is the one we don't hear about as much is 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 Zipper. He's he's the dark dolphin. Yeah. I thought to be fair, they should have also had a bad dolphin. You know, Zipper. (laughs) Big scar across his head. I'm moving safety buoys around. (laughs) Deal with that, Flipper. See. I was a hyena. <laughs> He's a hyena. So, do you trust Russia? Do you, do, should we trust them? Are these going to be good dolphins or bad dolphins? Well, if they listen to Brian Regan, then no. But I'm, I'm guessing they haven't listened to Brian. No, Regan. they don't. They don't. But they, here's a t- here's a tip, and I want you guys to respond to it. They do have no. They won't have any mucus in their blowhole. Right. 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 So that's a good sign. They'll have all their teeth. <laughs> that's important. So. That it's been spelled out that way is amazing. Yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> By the way, and write it down, guys, because if you're going to buy a dolphin, you want to make sure they have their teeth, mucus-free blowhole, quality motor skills. Absolutely. By the way, information you guys don't bring from your show. No. Clearly, you have a speed in that category. I think you need to try to bring up... We will concede. <laughs> we will concede to that one. I want you to try to bring up no mucus in the blowhole sometime during your show. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that that would pass. It might not BYU pass. Sports Nation fan base. It might not. Well, you've got to have a reason. Actually, it probably would. We, I mean, we've done some... You've done crazy stuff. stuff. We haven't done that, though. Hey, you, you guys, while you're at it, you breaking news. This truly is breaking news. Federal court reinstates the NFL suspension of Patriots quarterback Tom Brady. Jerem just showed this to me. In the Deflategate case. How about that? <laughs> what do you think of that? Tommy's wicked smart. <laughs> it's going to be okay. Wicked smart. This is amazing. I know. He ain't free yet. He, he's, you know. Holy cow. I mean, it. How much has the government is involved in this blows my mind. I know. What are we doing? But when you are, here's the thing. People are like, why is the government worried about football? What is the billion-dollar business in right. America right now that everybody right. loves? Who it's owns football. Sunday? It's not, it's not God anymore. Tell it's, the truth. That's right. Tell the truth. <laughs> they should be worrying about zipper dolphins, and instead they're worrying about Deflategate. Anyway, hey, what's on your show today, boys? Well, nothing that compelling. I know. No I'm telling mucus you. in the blowhole. <laughs> Listen, that's, that's for sure. Corbin Kafusi is going to play football and basketball. We're going to discuss where will he have the bigger impact. Cool. Plus, he will join us in studio to discuss. Of course. Cool. Remember how BYU is that much closer to three national championships? Two for rugby, one 
for men's volleyball. Hmm. Though men's volleyball will have to win two matches yeah. to pick up their fourth national championship. Oh, boy, that's big. Mm-hmm. Big. So Sean Olmstead, head coach, will join us in the studio. And then Kerry Roberts, the women's golf head coach. They just won the West Coast Conference championship. And they just ended a dynasty that ran 14 years. More details on that to come as well. What a show. All that and mucus-free blowhole. <laughs> Yes. At the top of the hour. Brian Boys, Regan, man. Got the best. Up. Good stuff, huh? Okay, go go relax. Go unwind, you know? <laughs> wax and get ready. Wax on, wax off. You know. Woo! Thanks, guys. Have Bye. a great show tonight. Today. Actually, not tonight. Have a great show in seven minutes. Uh, awesome stuff, folks. Really, you got to listen to BYU Sports Nation. It's right after the show. Um, at the top of the hour, you can get right in and find out all of the, the latest and greatest for BYU Sports. Plus, you get to hang out with Spencer and Jerem, for heaven's sakes. What more do you need to know? You will be taken care of by those two gentlemen. And now they're going to be finding out if you got all your teeth. See, Ben, that's why right when I asked you, right when you were in your job interview, I said, smile. Smile for me. Do you remember that? That also why you asked me to blow my nose? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, there was other reasons for that. But yeah, pretty okay. much the same thing. Hey, um, <laughs> or like do those ladder drills? Yeah, exactly. I want to see if you have agility. Uh-huh. Today's hug a plumber day, folks. And again, we can't over. We don't want to. You, 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 uh, plumbers are essential. The minute you're having a problem, it's the plumber that's going to be your best friend in the world. So hug one. Let them wash their hands. You know. Let them wash their hands, but give them a hug. And uh, it's also DNA Day. This is the day that commemorates the 50th year anniversary of James Watson and Francis Crick's discovery of the double helix, which I thought was a skateboarding trick. I've really got to get back into science. I think the skateboarding trick came first. Okay. Okay. Did it? Yeah. And there was a problem with the copywriting, and so okay, sure, I took it. Sure, that makes sense. Um, so hug a plumber day. Also, by the way, get a get a plumber a pair of suspenders day as well. We're here to help everybody, aren't we, Ben? Yeah. You don't even know what I'm talking about. Hey, here is a crazy uh, call to nine one one. A woman just uh, hoping to see her tax dollars at work tried calling police to report that a pizzeria got her order wrong. Are you kidding me? The customer can be heard in a recording of the 911 call complaining that Empire Pizza in Hartford, Connecticut, had mistakenly delivered a half cheese, half hamburger pie instead of a half cheese, half bacon one. Depriving people of their bacon is indeed outrageous. But as the dispatcher calmly explains, the mix-up does not qualify as a life-threatening emergency. If I order a pizza and they don't... uh, and they don't want to give me my money back, can you guys do something, the lady asks? Adding that employees at Empire have probably not surprisingly stopped answering her calls. The dispatcher replies, okay, that's not a police matter, ma'am. You'll have to work that out with the pizza shop. The pizzeria told the NBC affiliate that workers initially tried to fix the goof, but the lady admitted she'd already eaten half of the pizza. I'm going to bet she ate the, the cheese half. Because she was waiting for the bacon half. But honestly, again, Empire Pizza blew it. They made a mistake. They admit that. But I understand where this lady's coming from. She was waiting for her bacon pizza. I mean, 
Once you have your mind set on bacon, should you really have to lower yourself to have hamburger? And who's heard of a hamburger pizza? I haven't heard of that. Yeah. It sounds like somebody's trying to sneak something over on this lady. Yeah. I, whatever verbal abuse she gave the pizzeria, I think it was warranted. But no matter what happens, the police should have gone to the woman's home and, uh, you know, used one of our healthy little tools to help her straighten up. Taste it. Yikes. <laughs> Excuse me. I just felt sympathy pains for that. Or she could have used the taser on Ooh. the pizzeria. That would have been good. Mm. No, we do not suggest you tase anybody. But we think it, it'd be a creative solution. It is, it is an option, is what we're saying, if you've bought one of ours. Hey, uh, our hero story. As you know, we always like to end with a hero story. Our hero story is a young boy who saves a truck driver after he collapses from a diabetic seizure. Christopher Wheeler was his, is his name. He was riding to a nearby scrapyard with his 70-year-old neighbor, Alfred Smith, when Smith started having a diabetic seizure. Christopher said Smith was swerving across the road, sweating and fading in and out of consciousness. The truck almost hit the median several times, and before long, they were being followed by police down the interstate. Christopher says he could see the lights flashing and didn't, uh, you know, didn't want to die. He put his foot on the brake, grabbed the steering wheel, and pulled the truck over. Uh, when police approached the truck, the only thing a shaken Christopher told them was that he wanted to go home. Christopher's aunt says she was speechless that Christopher saved so many lives, taking the truck off the road before anyone else could get hurt. She says Christopher loves to help people and loves to work, and that's something he does all the time. A police officer said, without the heroism of that child, I think we would have uh, had a crash or somebody would have crashed off the road or into another vehicle. I think he saved a lot of lives out there. I think he's a hero and probably saved some lives, his own, the driver, and those in oncoming traffic. Christopher says he's considering now a career in law enforcement. So, Christopher, you are the hero of the day, my friend. Christopher Wheeler from Montgomery, Alabama. Thank you for stepping in and taking the wheel. Sometimes that's what we just need in our lives, somebody to step in when we can't uh, do it ourselves and make our lives a little bit easier, folks. That could be you for just anybody in your life. We appreciate uh, your willingness to, to just be with us on this ride during the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back again tomorrow. More fun, more ideas, tools to help you see the good in the world, live a healthier, happier life. Until tomorrow, make it a great one, folks. Look out for each other and take the will uh, from those that are dying and needing a little break. We'll be right back. Well, actually, we'll be back tomorrow. Until then, watch out for each other and make it a great one. <laughs>